you're just sort of getting into a routine and it's nearly the talk and it's more important than the exertion on the training pitch or, or even in the matches. They were just very impressed with the way they came through it. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Half past seven, OTB AM. Adrian with you on this Friday morning. I've almost forgotten what it is to uh, to do this thing, but uh, here we go. And it's not quite uh, Owen Shehan from Wales. Good morning to you. It's not quite a Roy Keane level of sort of been away from the hot seat that long, but... Still sort of looking at the microphone going, what What happened? Tap, tap. What happens here again? How are you getting on? Good. And on behalf of me and uh, the four or five YouTube commenters who uh, love you, uh, ha- welcome back and happy Friday. Thank you, Owen. You were outside the uh, artist formerly known as the Cardiff Arms Park. Yeah, uh, the Principality Stadium, the artist formerly known as the Millennium Stadium and the Cardiff Arms Park right there. Uh, yeah, like I mean, there's obviously no game here today for this weekend, Adrian, so I've come to the wrong place. I'm looking for uh, a little bit of uh, action or anything like that. So uh, it's, it's, it always feels to me like Wales Ireland weekend in the Six Nations is just greeted with misery when it comes from the skies. Like it is completely overcast here. It was beautiful at times yesterday, pelting down with rain, quite blustery, and it just feels like it's right. Yeah. Doesn't it? it just feels like this is. Wales versus Ireland like I remember working at the game in Dublin two years ago and I almost lost my tripod it flew across the road and there was just this, this three years ago I don't even know what year it is 2020 yeah sorry two years ago and it, it, it's just these chaotic conditions that you sometimes endure around this time of year so the Six Nations really is here What's uh, uh, from a country point of view and a re-emerging in, back into the planet point of view what's Cardiff like of a Friday morning at half past seven is a bit of a buzz about it are people milling around to work where's Cardiff at with the whole re-emergence uh, it's, it's like it's not really in, in terms of uh, half seven on a Friday morning I would have expected it to be a little bit busier even yesterday after we came off air uh, hopping on a bus to, to get out to, to, to meet Ross Harris who will bring to you later on that was that was pre nine o'clock that was rush hour and there was nobody really on the buses but uh, if you're asking me what Cardiff City Centre is like at night time it is a completely different story even without events being on it there was a little bit of uh, energy in the city last night it was like three or four different Harcourt streets around the place in the aftermath of the darts uh, just people in penguin suits queuing up for nightclubs all around uh, the city centre it was uh, quite nice to see so yeah they're very much back to normal but there isn't I'm not sure this is a thing it's, it, there's not so much hustle and bustle around the city and cent- the city centre it's more socialising spot isn't it yeah the, it is, it's great city. I know you were talking about it on the show last night in, in terms of its size and I know you were talking about the design of it I think it's more like it's a small city isn't it so it's like you do definitely um, have everything in really close proximity which which uh, which helps um, and you've obviously been making waves across the uh, internet as well over the last 24 hours on with your chats with where were you where were the Welsh kids that were telling you to F off home essentially uh, they, they were at Landaff RFC I'm surprised you didn't watch the full 8 minutes uh, package from the rugby club I don't know why that's not doing uh, the business why I'm not sure why people are running choosing to spend 13 seconds with, <laughs> with me and my content from Landaff RFC the other night there was other great characters involved as well not just uh, the under 10 boys team but uh, I, I don't know they've, they've obviously uh, taken on some sort of internet stardom and I hope he knows what, I hope he knows that, that, that boy by the way that that he is uh, a TikTok superstar at this point because that seems to be the platform where that's really caught fire. Yeah, I was very much impressed by his... He knew the rules of engagement of OTB AM straight off the bat. He was like, not messing around, straight... A bit of conflict going, bring it on. Let's let's have it. Very impressed by him. 
Yeah, not a he's a, clearly has been watching Jerry Gilroy and John Duggan all week slamming whales to to men who let us out as a show. I think it's fair to say, Adrian. Um, you mentioned the dart zone. It's it's about a month since we were watching, and like the world, certainly this part of the world felt as if it was in a slight different space at that stage when we were watching the darts, and everybody was crammed into a room, and everybody was going buck crazy, and uh, you know people were commenting about the fact that the players would have to walk on and off the stage with their mask on, yet there was like throngs of people uh, poured all over each other um, in the bleachers. What was it like last night? Uh, it was like it was very Welsh, first of all, because they've got two players in the Premier League darts at the moment to people that they think that can come in the whole thing the reigning champion as well as world number one PDC wise is, is Welsh so uh, there's a, a, a real feeling when they're, they're walking in that this is them going to support their country as much as anything else it was the first night of, of Premier League darts obviously we were over here to you know try and get a sense of what the city is like and what the Welsh mood is like in the build up to the Ireland game uh, mm. for the Six Nations but I think we got a pretty good sense of that in the queues before the darts, as we'll bring to you a little bit later on, people are pretty excited about this weekend. Uh, and I mean, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but uh, people are saying that the two major national pastimes of Wales at this point are rugby and darts. So uh, this is—it's uh, an interesting development, and it's—it's it's, it's a new development. And like, it is kind of ironic people uh, attending the darts because when you're chatting to them, and as I say, they're dressed up as Elmo or whatever. But I think there's actually a, a semi-serious point in there that this thing has taken over because they've had uh, relative success over the last couple of years yeah. uh, I was at the dart uh, as a bunch of us from the office were darts and uh, whatever it was um, three arena a few years ago and like great fantastic night out but it was really not a huge amount to do with the darts was that your experience of it last night or were people actually into it if you want to watch the darts you cannot go to the darts <laughs> like I mean there was okay. there were some people that, that were like standing up in the beaches and were like cheering every shot but I don't know how you managed to keep uh, an eye on it all like I mean obviously you, you are watching it on a big screen that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a cliche that's as old as time uh, at this stage it's all about the psychology of it about trying to put off your enemy and last night it was about putting off the uh, evil enemy of England uh, like so in the, the first round it was England versus Wales it was James Wade versus Gerwin Price and uh, there was a fair few English people in the crowd trying to, to boo and jeer Gerwin Price but mostly it was jeering towards James Wade there, a real level of, um, of distaste for England which uh, you may or may not be surprised to hear about when it comes to, to the Welsh sports psyche uh, not that there was any Irish player to, to gauge it by but uh, like Gary Anderson will get a, a very good reception here uh, who's from Scotland and uh, same, with, same with Peter Wright but um, James Wade got a, a little bit more of a, a spicy reception I found anyway it may not have come through on TV because of the fact that he was English and I also wondered about your own uh, reception. Have you been recognised in the streets? The star, of course, of Wales Online not that long ago. Have you been, has, have you been confronted by anybody? You're that guy. No. no. Not, not uh, a sinner. No. Like, as, as we discussed many a time over the last couple of weeks, I mean, I, I had an awakening. I had an awakening that uh, you know, we, we, were, we, we called it wrong last year. And uh, I, I, I think maybe the people of Cardiff have been happy to kind of accept that as, as I've been here over the last little while he put, uh, put someone else in the streets I mean that, that 10 year old boy from the rugby club the other day probably wouldn't be too, uh, too slow in giving Ger or John a piece of his mind I love how you're continuously separating yourself from the lads by the way That's, uh, that is a proper come to, come to Jesus moment we hammer them tomorrow and then I'll be like oh <laughs> right, listen here's my, here's my clip from last year as well as this year I saw this coming all along here, have you been? Is it? Have you been? You're obviously up early this morning, and you're looking very fresh. I have to say, I, is it? 
Have you been able to get out and sample the delights like we out until all hours last night, or how does that work? No, unfortunately, I was uh, work like try putting together a bit of, on the darts until all hours last night. So we'll hopefully uh, see a bit of that a little bit later on. Uh, uh, I'm not sure I wanted to to go and sample the delights last night. To be quite honest with you, I, I think uh, I think maybe um, it was it, it got to a level post darts that was intolerable for somebody who hasn't been engaging in the pre-darts festivities put it that way or during the darts festivities if you're coming out of there um, uh, just kind of like uh, stone cold at, at whatever time it was 11, 12 o'clock then you just want to go straight home and just finish off a few bits so no I haven't like I mean as I said really weak I mean we, we've, uh, we've got to come back for an actual game and and, and try and see what the, the, the city is properly all about at night time. It's, as I said, I, I studied just outside Cardiff and I know it a small bit and uh, and was there a few years ago as well with, I won't mention the person who is an OTB employee. We both at that time worked for different companies. We both ended up going out for a few drinks and we both ended up, uh, the pace for me was a bit hot. I'm not going to lie to you. The pace was a bit hot. Right. And uh, and I remember, uh, sorry, I remember, I remember very little, but uh, one, one awakening certainly was been outside a, a hotel in Cardiff City Centre at about three o'clock in the morning been uh, waking up outside my hotel door knocking on my own hotel door needless to say there was nobody in the hotel and I was stood there in my jocks three o'clock in the morning Cardiff City Centre Hotel not knowing how the hell I'd managed to get out there and trying to figure out how the hell I was going to get back in because uh, Cardiff City Centre Hotel at three o'clock in the morning the reception is pretty busy it's pretty heaving it's pretty hopping people are pouring back out of the nightclubs and back into the hotel I rang the reception and said, "Listen, a uh, bit of a bit of a pickle here. I'm I, there was like a phone in the in the hallway. I'm stuck in the hall here, and I'm in my jocks, and I ain't coming down. I'm not saying it was as lucid the conversation as uh, as it appears this morning, but that was the general gist of things. And the guy was like, "Not a chance, mate. You got to come down here and get your own key. I'm flat out." And I was like, uh, "And I was uh, by the way." I found myself out there because I was bursting uh, for a leak given events of the previous few hours. And uh, I was like, listen, dude, if you don't or somebody appear up here with a key in the next few minutes, this leak is going to happen in the hall. So uh, happily, <laughs> happily for everybody, it was resolved amicably and the key was returned and I got back into my room. And, uh, you know, nobody had to suffer the circumstance, the, the, uh, the outcome of that. My night must have been... Uh so boring that you you're after burying yourself here with that story age and I, I applaud you and I doff the cap to you for, for doing that well, talk about service in that hotel when you ring down it's like can you please drop my key up and he's just like nah mate not doing that for you he was, was like I mean, clearly found it hilarious he was right no he was right he was absolutely right like there was probably a couple of hundred people in the hotel lobby that he was like having to uh, probably on his own sort of like manage and then this Egypt on the you know I need to go for a leak I'm surprised he, he should have probably just left me there but look uh, all was well uh, that ends well although paid for it obviously the next morning so that's that there's plenty of chat on around and I know you've loads coming up you're going to be talking to Eddie Butler do you want to flag that up for people what's the nature what's going on with that yeah uh, so I sat down for a chat with, with Eddie Butler yesterday up in Abergavenny uh, as somebody who lived in and around uh, Cardiff Adrian, you, you might have been up there before it is really really nice town up in a, a different part of the valley to the one that I was in the other day kind of feels more of a, a well-to-do area and a big market town and it's been really well developed over the last little while so he's been living there for basically all his life just outside that town he is obviously one of the great voices of rugby we're going to chat a lot about his own memories especially for the games in the 1980s well of course all the games his entire career was in the 1980s playing for wales 
Uh, we're going to chat a little bit about uh, his commentary career. Brian Moore is going to step away from the commentary mm. booth from the men's six nations anyway this weekend. We'll do a bit on that, poetry. And then as flagged the other day, Brian or Eddie is uh, a massive voice for the idea of Welsh independence. And that's all it is at the moment, an, an idea. Uh, and maybe movement is, is how you can describe it as well over the next little while. So we'll be chatting a bit about that. An incredibly proud Welshman. And it's a good chat. It's coming up later on. Yeah, I was interested, actually. I did watch the full pieces of some of your uh, uh, stuff from Wales over the last few days. And one of the contributors talking about the fact that actually a lot of Welsh people would not be all that on board with the idea of independence. That A lot of them are coming from stock that might be English or Scottish or Irish and uh, feel as if it's a bit of a melting pot. And uh, certainly my recollection of my time there was very much not that. It was that uh, a lot of people wanted to get away and, and, uh, and do their own thing. Yeah, like, I mean, it's because I, I did ask that in, in the piece that we're going to bring to you. It, was that just a bit of a straw poll that I did? And he definitely feels that there is this part of the Welsh psyche which doesn't believe in itself. And, and that is basically what, what, what he's going to say in the piece. That they, there's just a lack of self-belief sometimes in Wales. There is this umbilical cord that they have at Westminster and they believe that if you get rid of that, that life will be a lot worse. And he just doesn't subscribe to that whatsoever, Eddie Butler. He thinks that uh, if, if you get free of the shackles of, of uh, England, uh, they will be able to, to prosper in a different way. So it, I guess it's a, a difference of, a, of an opinion. I guess years and years of, of being tied to the UK can, can get you into a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, I guess. And that's possibly a feeling that, that pervades around the country. It ties in nicely to the rugby, though, because it does feel that everybody is different over these next... Well, however long six nations got to last for seven weeks or whatever, it's a sense of being really Welsh for, for people who, who are from here over the next little while in a way that they wouldn't feel Welsh today, for example. Tomorrow they, they kick into a whole other gear whether or not they want their country to be on its own two feet or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does certain stoke the uh, the patriotism. All right, uh, Dahio Shockness on YouTube this morning wondering if I uh, found out exactly why I was left outside my room at three o'clock in the morning and yeah, I may, maybe did not explain that entirely. I was obviously the other side of a few shandies and had thought I was walking into the bathroom, walked out my front door <laughs> and then suddenly realised, aha, this hallway is yeah. not the Jacks. <laughs> And that's what happened there. Uh, Di, thanks for the clarification. And Peter G, also on YouTube, uh, says, blink three times if you need help, Owen. No, no. I'm fine. Yeah, everything is totally fine where I am. Um, we, we are good. You've, you've loads of stuff in the can that we're going to bring our uh, viewers this morning. We're going to get to that in a few minutes' time. But I do want to mention Roy Keane is back on the papers again this morning. Listen, he's been on the papers all week and he'll be on it he'll be on them uh, probably for the next 12 to 14 months or whatever the average duration the average lifespan of a manager is these days if he gets this Sunderland gig but Keane is mustered uh, on the back page of the star kind of sums it up and it's generally the gist of things and there's been some commentary obviously over the last 24 hours as well Aidan McGeady uh, who's still actually a Sunderland player um despite lack of appearances uh, talking about it yesterday he wants him in uh, Gabby Bonlahor two-footed challenge uh, yesterday with reflections on Keane's uh, final days at Aston Villa back in 2014 and how Bonlahor had said to him was discussing something with Paul Lambert and Keane jumped in and he said listen I'm not talking to you uh, I'm talking to the manager and the very next day uh, Roy Keane leaves so Gabby Bonlahor uh, basically saying listen it was me that uh, that wrote his death note so there's a lot of that going on but I mean look at my view and I know you've uh, talked about it a lot during the week but my view on it would be that two and a half years ago, this guy sat on a stage with us uh, down in Dublin's Docklands and like he issued for what Roy Keane must have been 
I'm sure he would have given it some consideration, but I mean, it was a come and get me plea, right, for uh, uh, to get back into management and reiterated that uh, plea several times thereafter. But, um, you know, he has not found a scratch since. And I do think that um, for Roy Keane to bring himself to a position where he's publicly saying, I want to get back into management, I think that would have been a wrench for him. I'd say he's more uh, of the mind that would would rather go about his business privately and not have to get into that. But there hasn't been a scratch for him over that two and a half years, despite saying, listen, I want to get back in. I'll take an opportunity wherever it's going. And in terms of his punditry, look at it, it's brilliant. And I've certainly tuned into him and tuned into games that I wouldn't otherwise be watching only for him. But like it is an opportunity for him to go back to uh, reattach himself to what it is to be involved in professional football in 2022 now and find out exactly what it is that make the modern player take and go and do it for 12 or 14 months. That's the lifespan of a manager anyway, no matter who it is, if it's Roy Keane or whoever else it is that takes the gig, that's all you're getting. And that's all it's going to be. And let's not fool ourselves about anything else. And he'll come back and sit in the pundit's chair for another 20, 25 years thereafter. And he can dine out on uh, on his uh, second second coming at Sunderland thereafter. I think go for it. Get back at it. Yeah, I like, well, I, like, I'm not sure where I go that far, but I definitely think that there is a, a, a chapter of the story left to be unwritten. And I think he probably feels that stronger than most, that the, there wasn't a verdict on his management. I think that, like, as I say that, you do think of the Republic of Ireland you do think of even Ipswich. And I just wonder if he thinks that actually they weren't a verdict at all and that he does need to go back just one more time, just toe back in again and, and see what happens. So, like, I mean, you, you spent some time over in the club. Like, I mean, they absolutely idolised the man, right? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have been there. It was a good Friday, uh, funnily enough. Um, yeah, at the time after the consortium had been out there uh, Niall Quinn uh, met me very generously on a, basically what was a day off for the club they were playing Manchester United that weekend he walked me around the club around the stands met several staff I walked around the city I spoke to people in shops got a real feel for the at that time it was the Irishness of, of Sunderland um, and obviously Keane's part in that um, wow the, like the warmth for Niall Quinn there by the way too uh, is is uh, at certainly at that time was huge but there was a huge like the conversation that's ongoing at the minute about why players won't go to Newcastle people don't tend to want to go to that part of the world so when people show them some love and they achieve some success and the umbilical cord that's there between the likes of uh, you know the football club in Newcastle and the city and the football club in Sunderland, the city, is a real uh, tangible thing. But they're going well. It does have a positive economic and general uplift uh, on the city as well. But yeah, huge love for them. As I said, I do think a big part of it is that they know that nobody really cares about them. And like that, that is deep rooted. And it's at government level and every, every other aspect that you can possibly think about. So I do think that there will be a thirst. Like there's a nostalgia about it as well. Owen, let's, let's call a spade a spade. It's kind of 15 years ago. You know, people who would have been in their twenties at that point or have moved on with life now, and they're yearning for a time that they bring us the glory days of Roy Keane. And like, who knows whether he can whether he can replicate that? I, you know, quite possibly not. I'd say is probably the the uh, reasoned guess. But I'd say there's a, a bit of a nostalgia yearn about it as well. And there is that some other managers as well. Like Roy Keane is of significant profile, therefore he just gets scrutinise a little bit more than everybody else I mean uh, Roy Keane wouldn't if Roy Keane got a Premier League job it would be astonishing 
Yeah, that, that would be an absolutely crazy story. If he got one in the championship, it would raise eyebrows as well. Like, and I guess that's the ambition for him to become a championship manager over the, ne the next little while. So I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, like, we'll, we'll just have to see the, the, the nostalgia thing. If that's what it's based on, then, I mean, they're doomed to fail. You'd like to think that Sutherland have a, have a lot more to give and, uh, or that they think that Roy Keane is a lot more to give. It'd, like, it'd be interesting to see how, how the interview actually plays out and, and what Roy Keane is actually offering as a, as a manager right now because what we hear about these days is, is managers coming here with PowerPoint presentations and spreadsheets. Roy Keane coming in with uh, a USB stick or a little Google Drive link and saying, click that there, lads, there's my football philosophy. Yeah, like I do think, look, if you're the Sunderland owners or you're any club owner, and this predates Gabby Agbonelhor's comments because that theory has been out there for a long time that he's um, he expects too much of players. He expects them all to be at his level. But you're absolutely certain that if I'm involved in that process, I'm saying to him, listen, Gabby Agbonelhor says this, I said this stuff, it's out there. What, what's your take on that? Like he's got to address it. Is the thing, um, and uh, look, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I wouldn't be as convinced that he. Uh, I think he has to do it. I think he owes it to himself. I think it's an an itch that he absolutely has to scratch somewhere. And if he got to do it as low reaches a league one, then he's got to do it. But um, I wouldn't be as convinced that he can actually make a success of it. As I said, it's a 12, 14 months thing at best either way. And we shall watch with interest. Um, I'm sure there'll be more developments on that over the coming days as well. Uh, what your, You saw the team out yesterday, I presume. Um, what's your thoughts on the Ireland 23? Uh, like I guess uh, Mark Hansen is the, the big story and that is the um, story over here as well. Matt Hansen kind of leading the headlines with regards to the, to the Welsh angle on things. I, I might just give you a, a sample of what they're going with on the back pages of the two main newspapers here. They're going with the Josh Adams angle uh, on their theme. Josh Contrive, a central figure. That's uh, Wayne Pivock who did a press conference yesterday. Uh, that is the Western Mail. Uh, the South Wales, South Wales Echo uh, Adams can thrive in a central role. So that's certainly the thing that's sticking out to them. But I mean, if you're looking at an Ireland theme, the biggest talking point is is certainly Mac Hansen because some of the other decisions uh, were kind of taken out of the coach's hands. Like, I think for the last couple of weeks we were saying, at long last, we finally have three fit centres. And I know he said yesterday that Henshaw is ready to go, but he's not. Like, I mean, he's, he's not fully fit. So we've got to wait another week for uh, for all those three to be fully fit before we can actually get to a point of seeing Izaki going to slip in and actually take that, that number 12 jersey. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's Hansen. Isn't it? a good Connacht man like yourself? Surely is the first thing with pride to see another one of your boys getting into the team. There's a 10-minute response to that that I won't bore people with, Owen. But, uh, yeah, ah, look, it is it is a good time to be to be having a look around. And obviously some of it is his uh, hand has been forced. I know there's some chat this morning about why Robert Balakun hasn't been included. And you would certainly scratch your head a little bit about that one and say maybe he deserved it. Uh, Mac Hansen does look like a prospect in a way that um, I know it's written about it, I think, in the mail this morning about calling out the likes of Michael Bent and Matt Mostyn from years ago and you would hope that he's not of that variety Mac Hansen that he's actually he looks as if and I've, I've seen him up close in action I saw uh, I was at the Connacht Ulster game with Eva a few months ago and he, he is a prospect he's, this guy's a player so um, we'll see we'll see this weekend you couldn't be going into like this is an absolute test we saw what happened with James Lowe obviously over the early games of his international career this is you're going right into the uh, frying pan of this one so 
uh, we shall see on that and as I mentioned Owen has got lots coming for us uh, from uh, Cardiff over uh, the course of the morning and right across the day and uh, a reminder as well that at 7.53 on this Friday morning OTBAM brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors here is a bit of a flavour of what's coming up for you between now and 10am this morning uh, we are going to be uh, getting a bit more from Owen in a few minutes. He was at the darts last night. We're going to have some of his uh, reaction from that in just a little bit. Ross Harris, uh, a, a Welsh journalist, will be talking us through what's going on across the back pages of the Welsh newspapers today. Give a bit of flavour about what they're saying ahead of the game at the weekend. Quick Picks is back. It returned last weekend and uh, we'll have uh, week two's picks. I think Ashling is top of the pile. Uh, but Tommy has come up with some weird formula by which you can even it all out over the course of uh, the next few weeks. Quick picks 10 past 8. Owen's been talking, as you mentioned, with Eddie Butler. That's coming your way at 25 to 9 this morning. Uh, Coach Pat Fitzgerald of the Northwestern Wildcats. They're coming to Dublin next August uh, to take on Nebraska in the Erlingus College Football Classic. And uh, Coach Pat Fitzgerald, he is a big deal and he's live in studio with us this morning at uh, quarter to nine. And Alan Quinlan will preview further preview that Ireland Wales game and looking ahead as well to the weekend of Six Nations actions for you, action for you at uh, five past nine this morning. John Giles uh, talking to Nate uh, Ritchie last night, I should say, uh, as well from half past nine this morning. So that is what is coming your way uh, by the way I do want to remind you as well also very exciting news on OTBAM uh, this week very exciting we've got uh, another final pair of tickets to give away this morning at OTBAM to Ireland against Wales at the Aviva Stadium uh, tomorrow afternoon it's going to be an absolute belter isn't it it's all with thanks to Aldi official fresh food partner to Irish Rugby this week uh, they've launched Play With Your Food uh, with the IRFU new research as young, that over 40% of Irish kids don't eat fruit and vegetables every day. Play with your food encourages kids to think differently about how they consume uh, that good fruit and veg. So enter our competition uh, to be in with the chance of winning a pair of tickets to Ireland Wales. Uh, you just have to do the following. Uh, follow us on TikTok. There's our page off underscore the underscore ball is our handle there you can head along and check that out uh, you can like any one of our TikTok videos and comment with our secret word so that we know that you've entered and the secret word this morning is Raj simple as that for the weekend that's in it ROG and um, we're going to pick a random winner later today we'll get those tickets out to you uh, ahead of the game tomorrow just make sure that you're following us on the OTB TikTok account if you're not following us uh, you can't win and uh, we won't be able to uh, PM you uh, with the details of that unless you are following us so that's all of that we'll give you a reminder uh, as well of that a little bit later on but uh, actually on uh, you are going to we're going to go back on your dart stuff last night um Full video of this is going to be available on the OTB social channels across the day. Make sure you go and check that out later on. But here is how Owen got on at the darts in Cardiff last night. Come on, Kelvin. Come on, Gezi. Do it for the academy, buddy. Come on. Shock attack, dude. Shock attack. We are the We cook when we want. First shark attack in Wales and a poor bastard can't is, even eat me. Is there a specific shark you're dressed up as tonight? Whatever shark is eating me, my brother. And at the end of the day, it's nice to have the darts in Wales instead of England. So you can stick your f- chariot up your ass. You can stick your f- chariot up your ass. You can stick your f- chariot. Stick your f- chariot. Stick your f- I'm a Merviton, well, boy, originally. Do you watch the rugby? Oh, damn f- street.
Darts and rugby all the way. I can't so the big, the big game this weekend, Ireland against Wales. Who do you think is going to get the job done? To be honest with you, being a Welshman, I reckon Ireland might do us at the last end, to be honest with you. Because the way that the Welsh team is going through, I think it's some youngers coming through and they need players. I don't think we're going to have a Six Nations. Truth be told, as a Welshman, I don't think we're going to have a Six Nations. We ain't going to retain a title because we're having some youngsters coming through. But I'm just a fat man who don't know nothing, apparently. But I'm telling you straight, Ireland and England are going to win the Six Nations. I've never seen a shark talk so much sense about rugby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. shark talk. This was meant to be a Christmas swim, but the Christmas swim got cancelled. I'm telling you straight. What is it about Welsh people and just telling it like it is on? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, uh, they, can really, they can really cut through all the nonsense and uh, t- tell it like it is. So, yeah, getting, getting a lot of truth bombs there. Uh, a couple of Welsh people who aren't even fully confident that they're going to do the job this, this weekend. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there's plenty more of that uh, good stuff over the course of the day as well. That was on at the uh, darts last night. Uh, Gezi, go on, Gezi. Uh, you got to hand it out to the Welsh. To be fair to them, to do a good, uh, to do a good nickname. Right. We've lots to come, as I mentioned. But earlier on, we're going to be getting into much more detail in the rugby a little later on with Alan Quinlan, host of the Red Seventy Eight, uh, and of other notoriety as well, and uh, plenty more besides as well. So stay tuned for all of that. Do please keep your comments coming into us, whether it's about the rugby, Roy Keane's return, possible return to football management, uh, any thoughts on. Uh, on the Welsh of course we want to hear on that anything else that's tickles your fancy this weekend in relation to sport or anything else besides please do uh, get them into us it is uh, coming up on 8 o'clock you're watching OTBAM and we're with you until 10 this morning uh, let's now hear Owen has been talking to uh, BBC journalist Ross Harries it's all about the uh, what's happening to the Welsh newspapers take a look just looking at some of the, the papers here disgraceful stories on the front of uh, the Western Mail and uh, the South Wales Echo uh, Stadium bars to close early in Six Nations is uh, this morning's headline uh, on the Western Mail. We'll come back to yesterday's Echo uh, preview. And uh, this morning's South Wales Echo is Welsh Rugby, uh, new dry half. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure, are you going to go to a game ever again, Ross? I mean, the alcohol percentage has been dropped from 5% to 4.3%. This is a, this is a disgrace. Big news. It was a huge story last night, all over the Welsh news. Um, and it's been coming. I, I think the WO have experimented with a couple of other solutions. There was a, a, a sort of no alcohol family zone, um, I think, during the 2020 Six Nations. Um, not sure how successful that was proved to be. Uh, but yeah, there has been this kind of growing concern uh, that the stadium's becoming an unpleasant place to go for a lot of hardcore rugby fans. There's always been this divide um, you know, between the, the, the hardcore rugby fan and the, the event goer. Um, and there are some, uh, you know, I think it's a minority, but some more snob- snobbish uh, Welsh fans who don't like the, the daffodil hats and the, the leeks pinned to the lapel and, and the people who, who turn up once a year to watch Wales and the Six Nations who don't go and watch their club or, or the regions. Um, I've got no issue with that. You know, th- that's what makes the, the stadium the, the size and, and the, the, the colourful atmospheric place it is and, and without those people you'd get half full quarter full stadium so, so I think there's a place for everyone there uh, I, and I'm not t- particularly snobbish about that but as I say there has been this growing concern that more drunk people are going and people aren't paying attention to the game they're just getting hammered and uh, you know occasional fights break out and 
uh, occasional arguments break out. And there was that awful story in the autumn about a, a child that was vomited on by a drunk fan. And, and that, that's dreadful. And if that was my child, I would be absolutely fuming. But I think we sometimes have to be a bit careful not to be too hysterical and, and assume that that's happening in every row, in every stand. Um, there's got to be a bit of perspective to this. Um, but, you know, it, it is a concern. It's made the news and it's an ongoing thing. So um, let's see if this makes a difference. I, I suspect people might just get more drinks when they go to the bar. So account for that, that is certainly one way around it, for sure. Yeah, that's... Uh, and and what, what's... Is, is that 8.6% technically with two points? I'm not sure how that works, but yeah, like I mean, it does. If you if you catastrophize it too much, you just have this image of the Principality Stadium full of middle-aged men projectile vomiting on on the nearest <laughs> available child, which is, I mean, let's face it, a little bit funny. So, uh, I mean, these things sometimes get blown out of proportion. Like on uh, the back pages, which is where we probably should be starting. I mean, you got uh, Johnny Sexton's quotes being carried uh, here in Wales. Sexton's stress warning for Irish. That's the the back of the South Wales uh, Echo, and then the back of the Western Mail we must deal with stress of playing Pivex Wales so uh, Ireland skipper Johnny Sexton has warned his side to deal with the stress of playing his side and he's noticed how Pivex has changed Wales' style since taking over from Gatland and says that they'll need uh, to deal with the attacking system that can stress you Uh, is that an accurate representation of, of Wales over the last little while? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, Wayne Pivak is, is probably a more cerebral coach than Warren Gatland, and, and you'll know that from watching him, you know, when he's in charge of the Scarlets. And, and I always think back to that um, 2017 final against Munster, where Munster were heavily fancied at the Aviva Stadium. They had a bigger pack, um, and people, I think, thought it was going to be a bit of a grind. And it even was raining on the morning of that game, I remember, which would have favoured Munster even more. But the Scarlets came out and played that brand of rugby which just blew Munster off the park and, and they weren't afraid to play and to go wide early um, and I think it kind of almost revolutionised the way we thought about rugby again in Wales and Wayne Pivak's definitely trying to take that approach to Wales but as he always said with the Scarlets it took him two or three seasons to almost recalibrate the way those players thought about playing um, and some players they didn't make the great and, and you saw certain players being cast aside uh, early in his tenure. And people often forget as well, they lost the first three games in a row of that championship winning season. So it was a work in progress. And I think we're seeing that with Wales. So you get you know signs of, of a fairly swift progress and then maybe a bit of a, a dip as we saw in the Autumn Nations Cup uh, 2020 where things just didn't go remotely Wales' way. And then in the championship last season, we started to see the fruits of it again. And, and yeah, you know, you see locks like Alan Wynne-Jones and Jake Ball when he was still here standing in the wide channels, which you'd never have seen before, you know, utilising forwards like that in those 15-metre tram lines. So I think there's definitely an ambition. Stephen Jones is his, his you know, trusty lieutenant who was with him at the Scarlets. He's a very, you know, an architect of, of attacking rugby. Um, but as you know... You can only do that with a steady supply of ball. And if the defence is up in your face, as, as Ireland usually is, um, then all that ambition can, can be squashed. Mm. So it's, it's a balance. You know, I think Sexton's been very diplomatic, mm. um, playing, playing at Wales' strengths. Those strengths exist. Uh, it's just whether or not we'll be able to see them in action at, at a vociferous Aviva Stadium against an Ireland side that are clearly just absolutely overloaded with with ambition right now. There's certainly a lot of positivity around the team. I think there's also a little bit of caution because of what happened last year. It's interesting though, like looking at Sexton and I guess 
you know that the conversation around sex in Ireland is constantly how many more years does he have left and all of a sudden he comes back and plays another couple of years and he's still at that level and it's just rinse and repeat with that is that the exact same conversation that you guys have around Alan Wynne-Jones because I've certainly picked up on a bit of it in the papers that it's like they call they hark back to moments a couple of years ago where everyone thought he was he was done. It was it was the, the rugby world cup. Um, it was reported in, in the Echo and in, in the Six Nations preview that a journalist uh, I think they probably pointed to it being a non journalist asked Alan Wynne Jones before the semi final, "How does it feel that your last game is going to be against uh, like in in, this, in, a, in a world semi final? How does that feel before they actually played it?" Uh, which didn't go down too well. But again, a couple of years later, we're still here, and while injured, he's still playing. So. Is, is it identical to the sexing situation where it's like stop stop writing this guy off basically definitely um, they're a similar age similar talismanic status um, and there just seems to be a sense in Wales that as long as Alan wins around everything will be alright um, so when you know it was announced that he was going to miss the tournament um, we already had the likes of Justin Tipperick on the sidelines Faletau missing a good chunk of it as well, Josh Navidi, not there, you know, a lot of those talismanic forwards, Lions. Um, but he was considered the biggest miss of all. Um, you know, I think he's 36 now, uh, same age as Johnny Sexton, right? So I, I think Wales has to start considering a future without him. You know, he made that miraculous comeback for the Lions. Uh, which is straight out of the Alan Wing copybook, you know, <laughs> completely rule him out. And then all of a sudden, people are talking about him being ready for the first test. And you're like, what? How, how on earth could that happen? So don't be surprised. Don't be remotely surprised if he pops up in round three yeah. of the Six Nations. Um, and, and he's the kind of guy that doesn't seem to need a run of games. I mean, that might change the older he's getting now, but he's had injury layoffs before. And then he seems to come back at nine out of ten. You know, he doesn't take three or four games to rediscover his rhythm. Um, but time is against him. And I think, you know, Wales as a nation sometimes has a tendency to to cling on to their heroes. Uh, Warren Gatland was the most ruthless selector I think Wales have ever had. You know, the, Adam Jones, gone. Mike Phillips, gone. And Jamie Roberts, stranded on, on 96 cap, 94 caps. Um Sentiment did not come into his selection at all. Uh, and I wonder if Warren Gatlin was still here, might he have thought, do you know what? We need to think for the future. We need to groom the next Alan Wynne-Jones. It's time to move him on. I think Wayne Pivak is holding on to him because of that status he holds and because of all the other injuries. You've got to keep him involved. You've got to keep him in camp, even if it's just as a voice, voice of experience, someone to drag these youngsters through uh, to the next generation. I can see him going into coaching. Yeah. So, so it may just be a very sensible move to, to keep him in camp uh, and make that transition as, as smooth as possible. Yeah, straight in with the, the Welsh camp. It's happened, isn't it? You know, it happened with Sam Warburton. Didn't work out with Sam. It, it wasn't for him. Um, but he went straight international coaching, you know, without going through the usual route of getting his badges. Gethin Jenkins is another. You know, he'd had a bit more experience coaching at Cardiff, but um, he was thrust into the role when, when Byron Hayward left. Um, so Wales uh, and, and the Pivac administration doesn't seem uh, concerned about you know whether they have to serve an apprenticeship at regional level or maybe in another country. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Alan Wynn was, was kind of co-opted into that coaching setup. What's going to be interesting uh, over the course of the, the next little while is, I suppose Six Nations is, is often hampered by, by the weather, but the trend in the Northern Hemisphere has been towards a really attractive style of rope. And I guess what Andy Farrell has proved with Ireland is that they can do that over the next little while. 
that would be the intention with Pivak, obviously, with, with Wales. Andy Dunn was on uh, Monday Night Rugby with us this week. Uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek saying, well, Schmidt's in with the All Blacks now, so wait for them to, you know, put it up the jumper and win the next World Cup that way. How do you see the Six Nations developing stylistically over, over the next little while? Are, are we in for a real treat uh, if you're a neutral bystander? I th- yeah, I think it has to go in that direction. You know, we saw glimpses of the New England in the autumn. Um, you know, I remember speaking to Wayne uh, before the last Six Nations, and and you know, while he, he had the utmost respect for the achievements of his predecessor, Warren Gatland, you know, the stats don't lie, and Wales's record against the Southern Hemisphere Big Three was, was pitiful. Um, you know, the wins were very sporadic i haven't been the all blacks since 1953 when tv was still black and white um you know the wallabies beat wales 10 times in a row under warren gatland admittedly most of them were agonizing last minute defeats by a point or or, a couple of points south africa a little bit different because wales and the warren gatland played a similar type of game to south africa but what pivak said from the very beginning was you can't consistently beat the southern hemisphere teams playing that way Therefore, you can't win a World Cup because uh, you'll, you'll face at least one of them, yeah. probably two or three, en route to a final. Um, so I, I think Wayne Pivak is determined to expand the way Wales play. And as you say, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of trend in the game at the moment as well. Smaller players, players lighter on their feet, uh, a commitment to playing more rugby. These tweaks in the laws have helped, I think. you know We haven't seen loads of 50-22s, but they're creeping into the game. It is making defences sit a little bit further back creating a bit more space um, you know Ireland under Farrell they're, they're very physical very abrasive but a little less prescribed yeah. than Joe Schmidt um, and Fra- a lot less prescribed I would say prescribed I've been polite um, and France uh, you know I know we're all getting excited about France I I, I worked on the um, you know the coverage of the uh, France New Zealand game in the autumn and, and it was just Phenomenal! It was one of those. We had, I think we had half an hour off air, but because it was on Amazon Prime, we could just extend that because you know, unlike when you're on the BBC, Gardens World isn't coming up next. You don't have to meet meet your time slot. So it was one of those ones where the producer just came through and said, "I'm ripping up the running order. Let's just milk this. Let's let's chat." We had Serge Betson with us, Nick Evans, um, and it was just an absolute pleasure. You know, we were back and forth to Paris bringing all the interviews in, and, and it was just a, a brilliant rugby occasion. You know, uh, the kind of thing all us neutrals crave. Untermack running from his own try line. Uh, you know, just phenomenal. So I think Galtier has instilled that Gallic elan back into the French game. They're the favourites for obvious reasons. Um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, I, I think, I hope as the sun peeks out from behind the clouds here in North Cardiff, uh, th- th- we could be in for an absolute treat. We, we need it, don't we? After the last couple of years of, of misery and despair, not in rugby, just in the world at large. Is it going to happen this weekend? Like, I mean, 6-1 to one, uh, was the uh, prices we saw last week. You're, sure, you're surely putting money on that, are you, from a Welsh, from a Welsh perspective? I'm, I'm not a gambling man, Johan. I, I, like, I like to look at the odds just, just you know, to, to inform my own uh, opinions. But... Uh, it, I just look at the provinces, and I know it doesn't always translate. So, in the same way that the Welsh regional form doesn't always translate into brilliant national form, the amazing Irish provincial form doesn't always translate into test form. You're forgetting the Cardiff Blues and their amazing win against Leinster last week. Cardiff rugby, I should. Oh, sorry, I'm getting caught up here in 2013. Yeah, it's very political. <laughs> no, I, it was 
Exactly, 28 nil against Toulouse. You can't fault that, yeah, can you? Right, right. <laughs> Amazing result. Away as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but then I, I just look at... I, I know some of those scorelines were skewed. But that Those consecutive weekends where Leinster put 80 on Montpellier and then 60 on Bath. And I look at that, the personnel in that Leinster side and the amount of overlap with the Irish side. You know, I look at the, the coaching staff. Um, yeah, I... It pains me to say it, but I think if Wales get within two scores, it'll probably be a, a moral victory of sorts. Right. Okay. So if you had to put a scoreline on it? I would probably say Ireland by 12. Okay. I think that is around what the, the bookies are saying as well. Uh, Ross, it's been great uh, catching up with you. Um, apologies for my colleague back in Dublin for riding off Wales. I mean, an absolute disgrace. Do you have any message to them before we go? I mean, the, the shock jocks back in Dublin. What whatever happened to the you know the Celtic Brotherhood is what I'd like to say. Uh, you know we used to have the island players backs and we we hoped you had ours. Uh, clearly not the case anymore. Um, so we'll see you in Dublin on Saturday. Um, but Guinness all around whatever the result is it or Murphy's. Well, don't be drinking the five percent Heineken because it causes you to vomit everywhere. Apparently, so uh, we'll see you there, Ross. Ross Harris of uh, of a load of different things. Check out his work. You can check him out on Twitter. Uh, you'll see him on TV very shortly. Indeed, I presume you're working around again on Saturday. Are you? Uh, I'm not actually right. on Saturday. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it as a as a punter. Right. So uh, I'll be enjoying myself without all the pressure of work that comes with it. Stuff. Well, uh, enjoy that, and uh, thanks, million for for sitting down for a chat today. Thanks for having me. The quote was as impressive as anything, and uh, quite the prediction. Twelve points uh, from the Wales point of view. Uh, on a, I've got that makes me I, that makes me nervous. Is the main thought I have out of that. Uh, yeah. On in conversation with Ross Harris there at the BBC, and as he said himself, plenty of others as well. Full version of that going to be available up on the OTB Rugby podcast feed shortly. Our YouTube channel as well. It's also where you find Owen's interview with Eddie Butler that we're going to bring you a little bit uh, later on today, and much more as well. So pack show coming up. Coach Pat Fitzgerald. He's a big deal. He's the Northwest. Uh, Wildcats uh, head coach football head coach and he's going to be along with us in just a little bit live in studio Alan Quinlan Six Nations preview back after these with our GA Quick Picks OTB AM some of these critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion Alright, uh, time for the quick picks and we're coming to you from all over the planet this morning and uh, I can let you know that after week one that uh, I know Tommy you've come up with some sort of a weird dynamic for how this is all going to pan out over the next seven or eight weeks um, it is all going to level itself out right is what you're saying I'm not going to get 100%. shafted by having not been here last week 100% yeah we're all going to have a rest week or two um, and we're all going to get an opportunity to embarrass ourselves like we did last week a very low hit rate across the board yeah well I think Will was maybe the main person that embarrassed himself last week what happened to you Will? got too cocky he was the champion last year and he got too cocky yeah lads as the band Yaz once sang the only way is up from here I'm not sure exactly how this uh, algorithm is going to work out with rest weeks and so on to see who's going to win I see no hurling picks uh, for weekend one of the hurling league as well so I'm not sure if Tommy is trying to do some kind of you know intentional uh, sabotage of the quick picks for the season by uh, at this early stage putting in division four football league games and not a sign of the hurling league for this week I just thought I'd level it off for this week keep it similar oh. to last week and then next week just you got to work with the algorithm, Will. I don't know if we have the table, but Ashley is joint top on four points. 
She got four picks right. She got Galway, Roscommon, Antrim and Cavan. Owen is joint top on four points. He called Galway, Roscommon, Antrim and Cavan. I'm joint top on four points. I called Galway, Antrim, Roscommon and Cavan. And Will is at the bottom of the table on two points. He only called Roscommon and Cavan. So, Owen, I think we were we were really hurt by the draws. That really got us. And uh, it didn't look great. And even though we talked up our ma, you know, a full slate of calls for Dublin to beat uh, to beat Arma. I mean, they were in Crow Park. They were well, they won the All Ireland two years ago. They got to an All Ireland semi final last year. Arma didn't. It wasn't uh, an overly outrageous shout. They got upset. That's what happens. I mean, it's like uh, do pe- do pe- like I saw somebody screenshotting it um, and uh, posting it towards us. Do people screenshot like bookies odds as well when uh, an upset happens all the time and post them online because that's. That's just well, like what I have. It's not, it's not, it's. I mean, it's nothing outrageous whatsoever. I mean, I, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself, Tommy. Yeah, no, I'd wonder. Like whatever I posted online, I wonder have we made any dressing room walls yet? Probably not. Okay, I mean, well, say, a, yeah, that's, I we know we say, made it. I would say there's no chance at all. Let's get into what's going on this week and who can sort of redeem themselves. And uh, you mentioned uh, everybody going against Armagh last uh, last week. Let's see uh, which way we're going with Kerry Dublin to begin with. Um, <laughs> Oh, oh, and I don't know if you can see this, but this does not bode well for you at all. Everybody is going for Kerry. Lead the way, Owen. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking kind of the same as, as that last week. If you take into account both teams' form, they're both not playing well if you want to just base it on one week. But Kerry are playing less bad than Dublin on the evidence of last week. Kerry were at home last week, or Dublin were at home last week, excuse me. Kerry were away last week and Kerry got a better result. Arguably, though, Armagh are better than Kildare. So if you're trying to put that jigsaw form together, I think Kerry edges it. Then you throw in the Tralee factor on top of that. And the fact that it is the league. And I think that Dublin have struggled against Kerry in the league relative to the championship over the last five, six years. So I think it points towards a, a Kerry win on that front. But I wouldn't be saying it with any great confidence. In fact, I think that the Tralee environs will suit this Dublin team better than the Crow Park. Yeah. Uh, size of the picture last, last week I mean if you watched the Armagh game Adrian which I'm sure you did uh, you'll have seen them knifing through them as a result of the massive open spaces in Crow Park they, they won't have that Kerry won't have that luxury this week but the thing is I'm not sure if that'll matter because Kerry are maybe not playing as expansively as they were over the last couple of seasons they've possibly uh, reined it in a little bit necessarily so uh, I think it'll be a tight game but I think Kerry are going to win on maybe like a 13 points to 11 scoreline or something like that Yeah I'm taking that as an indication of how he actually feels about going to happen later in the year Tommy what's your rationale on this? Yeah I just think uh, we talked about Crow Park and no one talks about Crow Park there last week and, and the impact we thought that could have had Newbridge was a tough enough spot for for anyone to go and I think that made a big difference to the, to the Kerry result last week I think Kerry are probably pretty happy about where they're at um, I think not losing that weekend also helped that they, they actually got a draw that meant that there wasn't that much of a I suppose a, a disaster kind of bells ringing around the county last week so they've been able to kind of reassess and look at what they did right and what they did wrong the only caveat to this is if Jack O'Connor looks at what happened to Tommy Conroy this week with his injury and the Sigerson Cup and the amount of games that are happening and Jack O'Connor sits down and says do you know what we might need David Clifford a little later in the year so we're going to rest David Clifford this weekend now for a sold out crowd down there they'll be disappointed not to see one of the marquee players in the game but when you look at what's happened in, in over the last number of years and Marsh Brosnan put, put out a stat there yesterday of players getting injured key players getting injured in January in around this time when they're playing college football and league football and 
Um, Some of it feels a bit needless, you know. Like um, Tommy Conner played a full game at the weekend, 48 hours later. I'm not saying it's the direct reason for what, what happened, but he's playing on two very heavy pitches and the cruciate gets done. So. I, well, well, I'm coming to you in a second in our match around, but Tommy, I want to stop you there because I've never seen somebody look so shifty when you've been talking about David Clifford possibly sitting out this weekend. Owen, what is going through that mind of yours? I, I think uh, Jack O'Connor has already proved this year that player welfare... Uh, can, can sometimes be put it to one side uh, for the, the greater good of the team. I mean, fitting to query with Tony Brosson and Jack Savage's uh, necessary inclusions, they wouldn't have won that game without them, uh, proved that he's willing to go there to any length. So is he willing to play David Kipper twice in a week? He absolutely is. Uh, is, it, is, it, is that paranoia, Tommy, from the, the manager's standpoint, where if you, if you start thinking about whether or not your player is going to do his cruciate? Like, I mean, I, <laughs> I, accept, I accept that it's a complete overworkload, but... Like do we also yeah. need to be we also need to be a little bit careful in terms of diagnosing why a, a cruciate was done. Um like well, without, without I, getting into a gray, a gray area here. Like I mean the, the workload is obviously terrible and like your but your body is uh, put into a, a very vulnerable position and it this shouldn't be happening. Players should not be playing in, in, in one week. But I think to all, all of a sudden make this leap between workload and lads uh, uh, being at, at, at doing their cruciate. I, I think that's a prediction that that is kind of an outlandish prediction, is it not? I, I don't know if it's that outlandish. I, I, it's, it's hard to get a, a proper correlation on it, but just to read you what Morris Brosnan's tweet was yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, but February 16, five games in 16 days, Jack McCaffrey pulls his hamstring, Paul Mannion does his quad. That same year in 2016, Tony Kelly and Sean Finn played Munster League in Fitzgibbon. They did their ankle ligaments in their cruise shoot within a few days of each other. February 2018, David Clifford does his hamstring after playing four games in 10 days. This will be his third game in yeah. a week clock. You know, yeah. it's it's it, they're heavy pitches. It's tough. I, I I don't want to be talking about this as if players are going to get injury. It's the last thing I want to see. But maybe it might be the smart move to say the lads of Sigerson. There's ten days left to go. This brilliant competition. Maybe let's just give them a bit of space here. Yeah. You know, we know there's so many problems with the GA calendar, and there's no getting away from that. But while those problems exist, and that competition is happening, just let them play Sigerson. Mm. Yeah. And there's plenty of like what we're alluding and to is the fact that there's so much science there now and data, and they'll be making that decision based on a lot of numbers. Based the will, of course. The will, of course. La- last one on that. Did Kerry ended up possibly losing that All Ireland last year, or their chance a crack at an All Ireland final because David Clifford got injured, and it didn't happen for extra time. So it'd be no. I will. I don't know what you think it is like, but it'd be no harm those Kerry forwards putting their hand up and saying, if David Clifford isn't here for a game or isn't around or he gets suspended or he's he's not fully fit for a game, we're able to do that job. So it's not like Kerry, you know, are lacking in Killian's bland, Paul Ganey, anyone else that you know. Tony Brosnan's obviously. I, don't, I think he's finished six or are, are they out? Maybe they're still in it. Are they? I th- look, um, I think yeah. it'd be it'd be a different scenario, Tommy, if it wasn't Dublin at home in the second round of the league where Kerry are looking to get a victory. I think uh, there's no doubt that David Clifford will play this weekend. Like I'd be shocked if they left him out. And the thing is, when it comes to muscle injuries, and I take Morris Brosnan's point entirely, that there's too much workload on elite players at this time of year because of the way that the competitions overlap. And with the league starting that little bit earlier as well, it feels like there's even more of an overlap with the Sigerson. But the thing is that David Clifford goes in very bravely for his second goal, as people probably saw the video during the week, he could easily have taken an impact injury there playing for his college as opposed to picking up a muscle strain while playing for Kerry this weekend. And I think he came off with a few minutes to go. Ultimately, it's about how his workload is probably managed outside of the games. Like if he's not touched the ball or he's just been resting up since the game midweek, he's probably good to go for this weekend. And hopefully, just as a neutral, we actually get to see David Clifford because I fully expected this game was going to be a top of the table clash. Both teams winning last weekend. 
Alas, the results didn't go that way. But maybe for Dublin, particularly with the nature of the performance last week, and I know we'll talk about our man in a moment, it puts that little bit of extra pressure on them going down to Tralee. If they're beaten two weeks in a row, Dublin are genuinely in a relegation battle already. Yeah, it does big time. We were talking about dressing room walls earlier on. You'd be certain that that's uh, going to be uh, part of the Dublin uh, prep this week as well. We'll lead us out in Armagh against Tyrone here. Let's have a look and see what, uh, what way everybody's going on this uh, on the basis of what we were saying earlier on. Uh, Armagh versus Tyrone a draw say Will and Adrian I definitely didn't say draw there uh, Owen is going for Tyrone, for Tyrone did you not? Tommy says Armagh no I'll find out what I did say because I haven't I can't quite remember but Will you're going for a draw go on what do you think it yeah, I wish I'd stuck with my guns last week for a draw between Monaghan and Tyrone. I was edging towards that way and thought we all always tend to go for wins here rather than going for draws because mm. of the nature of the quick picks, but probably should have opted for a draw last week. I think this one's going to be really close. I was so impressed by Armagh last week. Now, albeit Dublin uh, played into their hands somewhat with some of the sloppy play, particularly when we look back at the goal where Dublin make the most uncharacteristic of decisions to just try and put a 50-50 ball into the 45 and they get turned over on the counter-attack. But Armagh were really good throughout the game. Like It was a most impressive victory. Tyrone, who we all had somewhat doubts about coming back from the holiday, you know, not showing great form in the preseason, And then next thing, the mechanical form was put to one side. And when it came to an arm wrestle against Monaghan last week, they had enough to get a draw and get a point out of it. I think similarly, this one is going to be so closely fought. Pretty much, to not make it sound like a cliche, but because we've got all these Ulster matches in Division 1, and looking back to last week, it was no great surprise in the end that we had draws um, with the way that these teams are set up and given how close the uh, games tend to be between them. So mm. I think uh, Armagh might just kick on, get to three points by taking a point from the All-Ireland champions. And again, I think Toronto are going to be very hard to beat this week. Will rationalising sitting on the fence. Uh, thanks for that, Will. Uh, Armagh <laughs> was who I actually went for there. You'll never find me going for a draw like Will there. I mean, you might occasionally, but for, for the minute, let's just say that. And that's based on yeah last weekend and like maybe there is a bit of a hangover for Tyrone there and uh, that's kind of what I'm banking on uh, from that game like that, we might have to just check and see what your message to, to Joseph Conroy do, was do, do please do please check okay. that and I've just had a message from Joe to say that uh, the email format came up weird I mean look at okay. it's, it's, mm, we're right. back to this you know the way you changed the format last year where I was like run away going to win the thing hands down and then you changed the format to scupper me same sort of thing going on to be expected who's who was going for Tyrone here this was the one outlier I'm going for Tyrone go on I think that I think almost Will touched on it there the reason why I'm going for it is that everybody expected them to be relatively poor last week and all of a sudden they were back a lot better than they we thought they were so there's another week of training under their belts uh, there's a, a situation obviously where I don't know this is like an early season marker for these Ulster teams I think we saw that last week in the game between Tyrone and Monaghan where it's like yeah, the mechanical matters, but it doesn't really. I mean, once once these Ulster teams go toe-to-toe in, in the league, it is about the, the sort of pride of, of, of not giving your opponent an inch because chances are these sides will come up against one another in the championship later on this summer. So I think Toronto are going to be well up for us. I think that they're not not hurting from the idea, but I think that they've, they're an expert at going into some sort of siege mentality. And I think that they've, if you're looking at talking about dressing room wall stuff, they might have put up in the dressing room wall the fact that they have never gone back-to-back. And I think that's a massive motivating factor for Duger this year so uh, I, th- I think Toronto are in a lot better position than I thought they were a week ago and I think they're going to win Monaghan Mayo next up let's take a look what's everybody thinking let's see if we've got my actual prediction on this one uh, we have and it's Monaghan across the board Tommy your own county of course oh you're a Cavan sorry yeah go on yeah, yeah well it depends where you yeah it depends what day of the week it is hmm. um, yeah Monaghan 
Monaghan are just a great league team. They really, really are. Obviously, they're a very good championship team too, but they're just such a difficult place to go to. Um, they really put it up the All-Ireland Champions last week. Probably, possibly should have beaten them. Um, and while I think Mayo were going to have a good, decent league, I feel like they caught Donegal because Donegal are... Donegal did what Donegal have done for the last three or four years. They they just they, they let a lead slip that they shouldn't have done. Um, and Mayo really didn't have a right to come back the way they did from five points down with a man down in that second half. And I just think Monaghan are going to let rip a little bit more this weekend. We're going to see a bit more of McCarron who didn't score last week. Um, and I have a feeling Monaghan are just going to get the job done. Yeah. It could be a bad year for Mayo all around. The bad news keeps coming for them. We'll, uh, we'll I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a bad year for Mayo. It's shocking, brutal news. But yeah, I, I know. I, I just think Mayo are going to have more from this weekend. Mayo will, will do well at home all league long. A few games to get through here. Not long to do it. So Donegal, Kildare. Let's see what the predictions. Donegal across the board. Well, you've committed yourself. So fair play. That's a start. Yeah. Look, Donegal will be sickened that they left a couple of points behind them last week with the way they played against Mayo. It's again penalties happen you can miss them but they should have been able to close the game out from there particularly the hard work that they got through for most of the game in difficult conditions to get themselves into a winning position and then to get caught and end up with a draw will focus the minds I think for Donegal this week and look I think Kildare came back very impressively a bit like Mayo rescuing a point for themselves in their game against Kerry but Ah, Donegal, tough nut to crack. I am backing the men from the Northwest to pick up two points. It's a fairly it's the easiest call, is it, of the of the bunch. Owen. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. No, sorry, you're right. It is actually because the rest of the Division One games are actually quite hard to call. So by default, it is the easiest one. There is no easy game to call. You could easily go for. There will probably be a draw or two here this week, and it's about deciding which one it's going to be. Uh, like it is a, it's a fantastic situation of what, of what we're in, and you can throw a blanket over a lot of these teams. And particularly if you look at the two teams that are, uh, how will I say this? Like would, would be over the last couple of years the weakest of the Division One teams, uh, not at the moment, but traditionally, uh, like our man Kildare, uh, who would have played Division Two football not too long ago, for example, they seem to just be on the upward trajectory right now, and we still don't know where their ceiling is. So. I'm loath to back against them, even though that's exactly what I've done this morning on the quick picks. But it, it feels that there is no gimme. There is no team that are just going to go down without a fight this year. And sure, everybody, with the exception of Dublin, are already off the mark with, with at least one point. So we're not going to have like a need a couple of years ago. No. Wasn't, that, wasn't that the case, Tommy, where they lost every game? No, I don't, I don't see Dublin losing every game. No, I think you're right, Owen. I think you're right. Can I just make a point? Because I made a mistake there. Cam has pointed out to me that Mayo have no league home league games this year, which is very true. And I said they have really good home form in the league. So I'm. I'm not saying Mayo are going to get relegated because they've no little home, home league games. I just think Monaghan are going to, get, going to get the job done at home this year. Sorry, Owen. Every, uh, every game Kildare play, you'll be backing against the opponent. That's the reality of their season this year uh, in the league. Well, if they win I this week, know. Adrian. Yeah. Huh? If they win this week, it changes everything. Uh, like, uh, if my auntie, as Liam Brady would say. Hello, we are predicting here, so the idea of if is pretty pretty present here. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a big if, right? And I don't and I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't know. I don't know how big an if it is, really. I was so impressed with how Claire were moving last week. Like Jimmy Highland Jimmy Highland was sensational. When Kevin Feely came off the bench in the second half, they had such strength in the middle of the field. I do think Donny Gore are gonna have too much from this weekend, but I have a feeling it's not going to be like Mead last year. It's not going to be like Westmead a couple of years ago. Kelly are going to pick up a couple of wins and they'll they'll make a good, Against a good go out of staying up. 
You're not predicting. Well, I think, this I think week. Dublin. I think Dublin are going to Newbridge in, in three weeks. Ah, you know, like if Dublin, but if Dublin lose at the weekend, let's cut this and put it up on TikTok in a couple of weeks' time. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entertaining hey, this conversation. Look, Paddy, at all. Paddy Andrews. Paddy Andrews started on the football pod <laughs> in week one. He's trying to get that game moved to Crow Park. Dublin will not like going to Newbridge. They won't. We have, uh, Especially if they lost. You can save that kind of cliche for the football pod. Absolute guff. Adrian hates Kildare. What are you talking about? They won't. No, I don't. Really just, like Westmead would be. They're out of their depth at that uh, at that level. <laughs> Clip that and put it on TikTok, Adrian. Uh, me the I'm, I'm by the way I am told that uh, some more of my predictions are also wrong including the Westmead leash one which I mean should have been an indicator um, but let's wander off down into division 2 here Mead against Roscommon uh, I'm going for the Rossies as is Will as is own and of course the green eyed boy is going for his own uh, county Will lead us out here on Roscommon yeah, Roscommon, uh, despite some injuries they've brought into the league, were good against Cork last weekend. Meath were horrific for at least 45 minutes of that game against Galway last week. Uh, I thought maybe even though with Meath's issues coming into the league that there was going to be a kick in them that they'd go and play well. Uh, last week, they did not. I mean, the response will obviously be expected from the Royals, which I'm guessing is Tommy's logic when he thinks that Meath have got something in them against Roscommon this weekend. Uh, but I fancy the Rossies to be right up there for promotion. And in order to do so, they're going to beat Meath this weekend. Go on. Talking to me? Yeah. I'm I'm just wondering, do I have a get out clause to saying that my picks are wrong? Um <laughs> Yeah. Will said that I'm expecting me to to give a response this weekend. I am. Like if there isn't a response, there is something wrong. Because while they while that result was horrific last week and there's no point getting into excuses, you know, we can mention the fact that Mead had more shots than Galway, which is, is which is just crazy. Um they're not that bad. They really aren't like. They played mm. Division 1 football last year. They fell short against Kildare in the, in the promotion hunt, which was a big blow. They had a real messy off-season when there was, you know, uh, a move in some parts of county board level to, to get Andy McEntee out. The clubs went against the county executive board and he ended up staying. But that has to hang over a camp, has to hang over the county in a way. And it was the worst possible start to the league. I don't think he can get any better. They're, they're in Navin this weekend. I find Navin is always a good surface to play on no matter the weather. So I think that's going to be it's going to be good. Mead have to get their best players on the pitch, which means Jordan Morris has to start. It was no coincidence that they got a couple of scores and they come on. I don't know if you saw the, the, the highlights afterwards, but the first point he got was it was a brilliant score. So if Morris is playing, I'd expect Morris to, to put in a good performance. I'd expect Mead to, to be a good bit better this weekend. The Rossi still have a heap of players to come back. I don't think they'll be back this weekend, the, the players who did so well in club, but the Dailies, the Mur- David Murray, the, the Murtis and Folias, I don't think they'll be back yet. Um, and I'm just hoping that Mead, Mead gives something. Yeah, David Murray, who in any other county would be David Murray. Is that? I think it's Murray and it's coming. Yeah, I know, they're, they're absolutely above their station there. Right? Oh, and I was more than mildly distracted. What Are you getting kicked out of the Principality or what's going on? Yes, I am. Are I've you really? Two minutes. I'm, I'm, on pri- I'm on private property, apparently. Oh, wow. So, uh, standing, I'm Where? standing outside. Like, I mean, I'm, 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 let me show you this. Look, I'm on, I'm on the road. Look, that's the road right there. Uh, and then this is private property, by all accounts. Wow. So um, I need to leave. Jesus, Gemma Doherty hasn't got a patch on you. Uh, yeah. 
I will not be moved uh, is what I'm going to start saying Oh, just go literally 50 yards to your right and go in front of the Arms Park and you'll be on the public street they can't stop you there. Johnny Jobsworth will be back around the corner will he be he'll be turfing he'll be turfing him out exactly. right, well let's let's keep this keep this rocking then uh, Offaly against Derry uh, let's flash the predictions up here I actually went for Offaly on this one and uh, I'm not going to lie um, all the rest of you have gone for Derry uh, and sorry uh, yeah, all the rest of you have gone for Derry and I've gone for Offaly and I'm not going to lie having looked at it a little bit closer this morning I wish that prediction that I put up there was right but I'm going to stick with it uh, I'm going with Offaly based on absolutely nothing other than uh, the John Mahan impact because I mean if you look at what went on last weekend it's got to be Derry all the way Will Yeah, I think so uh, Offaly faded really badly I know Tommy was at the game but uh, conditions were with Offaly in the first half didn't get enough of a lead up against Clare and then fell out of the game entirely. Lost the second half by one nine to two points, which is quite worrying. Uh, particularly worrying will be the matchups against Derry for this weekend, where Offaly's first choice midfield are both abroad currently and they got cleaned out in the Division 3 final at Crow Park last year around the middle of the park. I think that's what will happen again. Derry are going to come down to Tullamore on Sunday. I think they'll make the most of that platform around the middle. They've got such good players in that middle third and that's where they were able to squeeze Offaly entirely in the Division 3 league final. I think the deficit probably won't be quite as large as the league final last year but I still would fancy Derry by four or five points and I think Derry have got a really good chance of back-to-back promotions as well. Um, I will say that Johnny Jobsworth moving on on has actually improved the shot greatly. He was That's a brilliant shot selection with Cardiff Arms Park behind you. Beautiful. Nice. Thanks, Will. Um, <laughs> leash against Westmeads. I think mine is going to say leash here, which is clearly absolutely not the way I'm going. I'm going Westmeads all day long. And uh, unbelievably, Owen is the only one that's with me. Will and Tommy, have you not learned your lesson from last year when I whooped the three uh, when this prediction came up? <laughs> what are you thinking? Tommy. Well, Will, do you want to do you want to jump in here? Like, I, I think Billy Billy Sheen is is has got the motor in quite well. Ah. I just think, I think he does. I think he does. And Westmead were blessed last week. Do you know, Wicklow had a, such a good start; they had a real good run of them, and they came back. Um, and and look, at I just thought there was a couple of worrying signs there. They do have the second best player in the top ten players. Exactly. In the bottom Delighted 10 to counties. see that, Tommy. So, yeah, fair play. Um, you know, Johnny Heston may may pull it out of the bag for them, but I, I just think they're they're a better you know, team than Leash. It's not they don't need anything pulled out of the bag. They were slow start to last week. They're clearly on the evidence of last year a better team. Mm. Uh, Billy Sheen has checked it, checked that himself. That uh, you know, and obviously they've had a huge turnaround of players as well. But just going to say, um, Adrian Billy Sheen did a quick count. There was only five players involved yeah. last weekend to play the championship game in Tullamore last year so that just goes to show the turnover of players like I, I think the argument for Leash on this one is just purely based on the form the two teams have shown so far where Westmead played just one game in the O'Byrne Cup and Jack Cooney admitted afterwards that that played a huge part in Wicklow getting that start where they 2-4 scored very early in the game uh, last week in Mullingar but Westmead were able to wrestle it back I think the fact that Kevin Maguire could be missing this weekend he went off injured last week would be a bit of a concern if Evan O'Carroll is going to play in around the square I don't think Westmead necessarily have a good match up in their defence to go in on him if Maguire is out um, this one's going to be really close again I was actually tempted to go for a draw here but Leash have impressed me over the last four or five games that they played and again they went to Loud last week um, got to a point at half time where they were still in the game came out with the switch over scored two goals early in the second half Gary Walsh has been playing really well just for that reason I'm kind of just edging towards Leash but not by much Class wins out lads it's, the, it's all you need to know about that one uh, Tipperary against Leitrim finally uh, let's see which way everybody's going it's Tipperary across the board on uh, I'd be a bit nervous of this to be honest I'm kind of as nervous of this one as I am actually of Roscommon against Mead I think 
Uh, Tommy could be on something with the Mead bounce back this week, and I think Tipper or I think not that it's a bounce back leash from whatsoever. I think Tipperary is more of a, a case of a team that are on a downward spiral at the moment, and I think Leitrim potentially not sudden an upward spiral, but they're going to be uh, are in contention potentially to get promoted this year. So uh, a little bit concerned about this. To be honest, it was so bad from from Tipperary last week, drawing with Waterford. This is a division that they absolutely need to get out of. So there is no room for them to to find their way and to edge their way into this. So it's unbelievably high stakes for Tip. If they don't get a win this week, if they get beaten by by Leitrim this week, it could well spell a second consecutive season in Division 4 because we know that Cavan are more than likely going to get promoted. So taking that into account, you, 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 like that, that, that is why I'm, I'm, I'm going for um, going for Tip on this occasion because it's just too big a game. Well, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm worried about this one. OK, well, look, uh, quick picks in the can. A few edits to be made, I have to say. Let's, get, let's formalise all this before games clear. I don't want any rancour no next problem. week when I'm, when I'm top of the table. Fair play. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. All right, it's quarter to nine. We have uh, coach Pat Fitzgerald of the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, Stanley Bowe is going to come into the studio very shortly and uh, we'll chat to him about the college football, obviously the Erlingus College Football Series coming to Dublin uh, in August and the uh, Wildcats up against Nebraska. So we'll get stuck into all of that uh, very shortly. But uh, I think Owen is still there. Are you there, Owen? I am, yeah. We're going to hear from Eddie Butler. What can we expect? Uh, so, the first piece I think we're going to play is about the, the, the Welsh nationalism and, and, and the attachment with, with, with Welsh rugby and the pride that he had in wearing the, the, the shirt and uh, and how that kind of differs or how, what the similarities are between that and, and I guess how proud he is of, of his country outside of the rugby pitch as well. What does it mean to be Welsh in this part of the country? Well, it's a strange one because, you know, it, in the great uh, checklist of what being Welsh is, to be from Monmouthshire would rank pretty low. It's quite an anglicised county. You wouldn't get much Welsh language spoken spoken here. Uh, you know, for, for many years, uh, it was almost described as Wales and Monmouthshire, which was a, a sort of clerical glitch for, for, for many years, but the, the, the truth is that it has always been a Welsh county. You know, Gwent is a is one of the great kingdoms of of ancient Wales, and so um, we are firmly planted in Wales. And uh, uh, yeah, but we are regarded <coughs> with a degree of suspicion, I suppose, for simply because it is a little bit more anglicised, and there are many commuters who live here who go over the bridge to Bristol to work, and uh, you know. It's uh, Gloucestershire is next door, the the other way through the Forest of Dean. So, yeah, we are we are connected to England. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You know, we are a border county. How do you find your own identity as a young Welsh boy and man? Is is this a period of time where your parents are, are, are deeply entrenched in in the region and, and speak about the things that you speak about now, or? Or how does that come about for you, this idea of, of, of Welsh identity? No, I'd say my parents were English. They, they came to Wales. My father was from uh, Scunthorpe, from a steel mining, fa- a steel working family. My mother came from London. And after the Second World War, they met at, um, in Bomber Command in, in High Wycombe during the Second World War. And um, my father was a scientist, and so he, um, he worked on radar in the war, but then went back to Birmingham University and um, was a chemist, and he came down in what really was the last great wave of investment in in Wales, that um, 
for example, in Merthyr Tydfil, the great iron town of Merthyr Tydfil, Hoover uh, started to build washing machines. Uh, and in, in Estragunlice, further west, they had the TikTok factory, which is the watch factory made by Smiths, uh, watches made by Smiths. Uh, so they were looking beyond the age of iron and coal and steel to what we could do next. And in Pontypool, they, they built the nylon factory, and my father came to work in this brand-new production centre for nylon. And so it was a period of great optimism. And they came there, having had very much a British identity during the war, the war effort. They felt part of that. They felt that, you know, only together as one Britain could they defeat Nazism. So they believed in it. So, you know, if you'd have asked them about Welsh independence, they'd have said, definitely not. But in the period of my life, you know, that, that has changed because there has, no, there has been no further great investment in Wales. Uh, Wales has been abandoned, basically, by, by the overlord, by the, the landlord, England. Um, government, government in Westminster has become a, a more brutal, harder place. Um, and so to fight a, to fight a Welsh corner... Has uh, well, it started off as a small scrap, but it is growing. It is, and it's uh, you know the theme of independence, of devolved powers at least, is on the increase. It definitely seems that, and this is pure straw poll from chatting to people over the last couple of days. It is a conversation. Uh, it's also a conversation that people like to conclude with by saying something like, it's not going to happen, or there is no financial incentive for us to ever separate from the United Kingdom. Is that the, the real experience, or, or have I just ended up stumbling upon people who, who are all of the same view? No, there's a terrible lack of self-confidence in Wales. There's, there's no question that we, <clears throat> in general, we simply do not feel we are strong enough or even brave enough to take on the responsibilities of governing ourselves. And there's a saying that the Welsh make great foot soldiers, but they don't produce officer. There's no officer class in Wales because the decisions are left to others. Um, and we have to disprove that. There is, a, there is a truth that young people leave Wales to go and find jobs elsewhere. And so we have to get those people, those, those people who can take on uh, big jobs and big responsibilities, we have to get them to come back to Wales, uh, which is going to be a challenge. You know, it's, uh, if you neglect a land for so long, then the incentives to come home are, are limited. So we are starting from, a, from a, a low base point. But that is part of the problem, that you have to ask the question, why is Wales in such a, a poor state? And it is because the Westminster government has abandoned it. And we have to do something about it. The Westminster government give Wales the money to look after itself, they say, to run the devolved government, the devolution, the Senev in Cardiff. But that money on its own left Wales in a state where it automatically qualified for emergency European funding. And now that funding has gone because we have left the European Union. We are left with this block... Um, granted according to the Barnet formula, 
and we're stuck with it, and it is never going to be enough. So we are always going to be impoverished unless we do something about it ourselves. It's very interesting what you say there. There's a, there's a load there. What I'm interested in is, I guess, the sporting context of what you talk about. There is no officer class in Wales, whereas quite often what we see on the rugby pitch, for example, is you know officer class in, in 15 shirts almost, and it is the idea of, of heart and soul and uh, the passion of this country going into the rugby jersey. So why is that at odds with the, 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 the stereotype of, or the description, I should say, sorry, of, of Wales that you've just given there? Well, it's a problem because... Come the Six Nations, for example, we all turn into rabid, passionate Welsh people standing up for Welshness. And then we play England and it reaches its spike, especially on that one day. And the things you'll hear in the changing room, you would think, oh my God, here is a country, a small country, truly at war with the big neighbour. But come Monday, when it's all done, the conversation dies. So it always struck me that there was so much passion on the day, but on the Monday, where it all gone? So I think it, it is, in, in geopolitical terms, a phony way of looking at Wales, that it's, it's, it is a stereotype that come rugby days, we all get hugely in, inflamed, but it leads nowhere. So we have to be able to tap into that passion and make it last a lot longer and, and, and be turned to the real issues. I mean, it, it is only a sporting occasion, but there's a real life to lead as well, and we have to make sure that that Welsh passion is focused on the real problems. That's the great Eddie Butler in conversation with Owen uh, over in Wales. Obviously, at the minute, there'll be more of that to come across our social channels over the course of today, and do stay tuned uh, to that. Plenty of interesting topics and gets well away from the rugby, as you've been hearing there. Right, it is coming up on 5 to 9. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTB AM. Uh, Chicago's Northwestern Wildcats, as you'll be aware if you've been watching uh, OTB over the last few months, are going to take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers in the Erlingus College Football Classic. It's the Aviva Stadium. It's Saturday, 27th of August. Hospitality package is available now. You just head along to collegefootballireland.com January tickets are going to sale in March and as part of that I am delighted to say that the Northwestern uh, football uh, head football coach Pat Fitzgerald joins us in studio morning to you a coach I think is the official oh is that, is that the way it's unusual for an Irish person to be to give to go with that moniker but I think that's the exception yeah I guess technically I've been called a lot worse so yeah. I'll, I'll take whatever I get called but it's it's great to be on with you this morning I know having spoken to the guys Brendan and the guys who were organising behind the scenes about when the name Pat Fitzgerald came on the scene before we had any sort of recognition of you know what you were about and you're a very big deal in terms of American football in, in the US uh, but the name Pat Fitzgerald everybody was like well this guy <laughs> no, he's one of our own yeah right it was great uh, we had a wonderful day yesterday my wife Stacy and I were able to go to Epic and really find uh, amazing stories and amazing background on my family's heritage and uh I can't thank the folks enough uh, for the work they put in. Uh, that started the day, and the day ended with uh, going out to see my cousin and his family in Nerny. So it, wow. it was an emotional day. It was uh, a historic day for me to learn a lot about uh, my Irish roots and heritage, and then to be able to put uh, the human touch to it and, and sit in uh, the kitchen and, and, and meet with family uh, was was really surreal. That is class. So your your Kildare is the connection. Is it both your grandparents, or what was the? What could you? Figure yeah, out? both my grandparents uh, were born uh, here in Ireland, and 
they basically at Epic went through the information they had from the United States and started to track it back. Okay. Uh, and and what we learned yesterday was 1901 census was really the last census in in Ireland that there is really concrete information on where people were born. Uh, where they lived, and uh, you know, my my the Fitzgerald side's obviously from the west, mm. uh, and and found out kind of exactly where they believe that my my grandfather was born and where he where he lived. Found out they were far, they're farmers, and uh, that there was some information, not as much. And then uh, the Marin's family uh, down in Nerney, uh, there was quite a bit of information. That's my grandmother, uh, and uh, sadly. My grandfather Fitzgerald, I did not know, passed away before I was born. But my my grandmother, I knew very very well and wow. uh, very close with her. And uh, she's uh, obviously since passed. But uh, uh, to see uh, all the the information, it was again you, you fly in, at, you land at five thirty local, and, and this is one of the first things you do. It was incredible. it was really incredible. So they're first cousins. Uh, uh, first cousins to my dad, so it would okay. be my second cousins. Cousin, yeah. Yep, and um, uh, you know, just great, great conversation. It was, uh, and then for for uh, for me to get to know them a little bit was fabulous yesterday. Uh, but they're they're able to watch our team, uh, you know, on on social media online, and then sometimes as they they told me yesterday they called it the telly. You know, yeah, in the yeah. states we call it the television. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was it was great. It was just a fabulous day. And w- so were you knocking on the door, going, "Hey, <laughs> I'm your cousin"? Yeah, was no, it like- you know, uh, Silver reached out to me uh, on on so my cousin on on social media uh, a couple of years okay. back and said, "Hey, I'm your cousin in Ireland." Wow. Really, you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah well, no, yeah. no, I, I reached out to some of them. <laughs> Here's another family. one. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, we were able to connect the dots wow. and. Um, we, we've communicated back and forth uh, through that, and then through everybody with uh, with the game, we're able to get me connected. And uh, Jimmy, our driver, drove Stacy, my wife, and I out there. It was it was it was amazing. Um, let's give people a bit of a sense of who you are. I mentioned I've been mentioning all morning. This guy's kind of a big deal, and uh, it, that's very much the case. You're a college football hall, hall of famer. You'd spent a brief spell with the Dallas Cowboys. You've been at the same role with the Wildcats for over 15 years now. Give us a bit of a sense of what that role is. Yeah, well, as a head football coach, you know I'm in the leadership role that oversees uh, you know our football program. Uh, and uh, when you think about American college football. Uh, it's second most watched in, uh, in, in second most popular sport in the United States behind the National Football League, the NFL. So we, we've passed up the NBA basketball. We've passed up Major League Baseball as an entity uh, as far as college football and, and college athletics. So uh, until most recently, a, a, an amateur sport completely. Uh, the coaches, we get we get salaried in contracts, but the, but the athletes are in college. They're in school, uh, you know, aptly named students athletes so to see um, you know where things have been able to go with our sport with our game uh, and the way that it's grown I played in the mid 90s at Northwestern so we're just outside of Chicago about 12 miles north of, of the downtown I guess you call it city center uh, here and um, right on the shores of Lake Michigan and uh, it's just a beautiful setting a small school private school uh, of about 8,000 undergraduate students and so it's uh, it's just a fabulous place yeah those numbers in an Irish context by the way are not small but uh but i i do take the point in the u.s context what um what is your remit then within that it's is it a is it re- recruitment i don't even know is that quite the right word but is it is it it's everything essentially is it well yeah a best way maybe would be the ceo of the organization right um i obviously answer to uh, people within the university but uh yeah I, I oversee uh all of our operations when it comes to recruiting player development training 
the coaching uh, uh, aspects of that, the tactics which we employ on the field, uh, I guess the pitch uh, here. I'm, I'm starting to learn a little. Yeah, 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 I'm getting it down. Uh, you know, and, and then obviously uh, from a standpoint of our, of our, of our alums, uh, and those that are generous and donate, uh, you know, financially and emotionally uh, to our program, uh, you know, being a steward and, 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 a, and a conduit to our program. So uh, it's all encompassing. It's a lot. It, you know, it's not just what happens on the pitch. Mm. Those are only 12 days of the year. Uh, the, the other 350 plus days, there, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and and uh, it, it's, it's never a dull moment. There are often comparisons made between the amateur aspect of the GEA here, yeah. for example, which I'm sure you've been discussing over the last couple of days, and, and college football in the US. But the dynamic is is very different in a lot of ways. I mean, it's about to get maybe very, very different in terms of the uh, salaried nature, potentially, of, of, uh, of athletes. But just, well, we'll come to that in a second. But the, the scholarship aspect, and you've, is it 80 plus scholarships get dish, dished out? How do you manage that transient nature of students and keeping ahead of the fact that like how many students do you lose every year for example so you have 85 scholarship athletes and then we'll have 27 that come onto the team over five so basically you have five classes from freshmen to to basically seniors uh at the university and i I get a total of 127 for each year meaning not 127 times five this season coming up, I have 120, or excuse me, 112 total players. Okay. Okay. So uh, that that's that's who's in the arena playing, participating. Uh, you're you're exactly right. A major part of it is the recruiting, is the development and retention. Uh, but no matter what, you're going to have you know X amount of seniors move on to the National Football League, and an overwhelming majority across our sport, across every team. Don't get that opportunity. They move on to life. Real life. Yeah, yeah move on to life. So, um, you know, you're pretty much 25% of your roster turns over every year. So it's it's, uh, it's how, that how recruiting that? aspect. How is hard that? Is that? I mean, are you, are you sitting down saying I'm, I need X? Uh, is, is it the same number of players in each position that you recruit back into every year? Or does it depend on quality or how do you manage that? Exactly. Both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, you, you have numbers with the 85 scholarships that you want to have. Mm. Uh, you know, by position and, and where you want those those numbers set. So you look at what you're graduating and departing your program. You've hope you you've you've anticipated that so you don't go from maybe losing three of one position. Now I need to go get three to be, you know, great players. You hope they are, but you hope you have older players that are ready to step into that role. And then just kind of that that cycle just continues as you move forward. Uh, the recruiting aspect is is a big part of it. Um, and, um, you know, especially with certain positions, you know, for us, everybody probably knows the names like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Uh, the quarterback position in our game is so important uh, that, that uh, it's it, and you, don't, you usually only have five of those. Mm. And one's really important that that's the guy who makes everything go. So it's uh, it's a very unique sport. Uh, if you've had a chance to see it or watch it, it's very integral. But uh, before we come over in August, I hope everybody here in Ireland, you know, just goes online and looks up football for Dummies, you know American football, and uh, it'll be able to explain to you everything that's going on. I'm a signed-up member of that, uh, that particular <laughs> channel. What um, the 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 pay-for-play conversation has been yeah. has definitely resonated over here. What's your stance on that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's the same thing a little bit with with college athletics now in the, in the states. Uh, we're not directly paying as a university to the athletes, but similar to the Olympic model uh, in the states, where our name, image, and likeness. 
you know, our athletes were not able to make any revenue on that. And now rules have changed that, that, that they're able to do that. So that's going to really change the, di- the dynamic. It was just the scholarship uh, in the mm-hmm. past. Now they can get on top of the scholarship, um, you know, really like any job, like any marketing um, deal, a, a, a partnership with a company for their name, image and likeness. So as we look at all these jerseys and, you know, our, our biggest benefactor, Pat Ryan, started Aon. And as we all know, in European soccer. Aon, I think it's Man U that they, they you'd see all over their jersey. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of, of where things are going in the States. Uh, I have heard about what's going on here with the GAA. And, you know, if it goes to pay for play, it'll be a very different model. Yeah. It, it'll be a professional model. One of the big differences is that you're dealing with kids. Yeah. Well, 18 to 22 yeah. are, is our age group that I, yeah, I get. I, I, as in, you you know, you're automatically creating, in some cases, many cases, maybe millionaires, but certainly very wealthy young people uh, in society how much in your role I presume that is occupying a big part of your headspace in terms of how you would uh, potentially manage that situation in terms of you know uh, I don't know what what it would have been like for me at 18 if somebody had been saying listen you're, not, you're now suddenly getting half a million a year into your account so I'm trying to pre-manage that I presume is a big part of your well education yeah. you know you know fiscal responsibility and, and how to properly set a budget and you know how to go about running your day uh, and, and, and looking at a year and, and then thinking about how to invest that money I mean, we would do a, a lot of education to make sure our guys are prepared and then you know you hope that they're able to listen and, and, and follow that direction Was it Bubba Cunningham from Carolina this week he had said it's moving from university student dynamic to employer employee that is a big old shift well it will become much more similar to to our professional football like the Mm -hmm. NFL I mean it it will be um, it will be a very different dynamic and and there'll be some positives there'll be negatives there always is when you have this type of systemic change we're we're kind of in the middle right now we we were amateur and the NFL is on the other side we're somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. Uh, they'll There'll be definite change. We just don't know what exactly that's going to look like. But, um, you know, in our sport, we're regulated by a governing body. Here we have the GAA in, in Ireland. We have the NCAA in the United States. And, um, you know, that's been under fire. It's been under mm-hmm. fire through lawsuits. It's been under fire from federal government uh, in the United States. And so where that exactly goes, it's got two main forces really impacting it with the legal system in the United States and the federal government. So we'll see here. Over po- the next possibly week. under new management at some point. Do you foresee that or? Potentially, you know, you know, I've got enough problems, so I'll, I'll worry about my yeah, issues. That's fair, that's fair. Uh, but uh, you know, when you look at the big picture, it's definitely changing. Last one: Does it change the dynamic between the fans and the team? Is there does that? You mentioned the alumni earlier on. Does that connection just remain, or is there like more of a cynicism of well, this is suddenly not quite? Yeah, working. I mean, that's a big part of the discussion. You know, I think by the media in the United States, you know, most college teams are supported by their alums. And then regionally, where the where the university is located, again in the United States, college football. A lot of our schools at our level are big state. You know, we were talking about the rugby match tomorrow. You know, two countries, Wales and Ireland. Well, you know, the University of Illinois is our biggest rival. Mm-hmm. We're in Illinois, the state. They're in central Illinois. We're in suburban Chicago. Uh, and, and so we're rivals, but at the end of the day, their fan base is more loyal to the central part of the state. Ours is more, you know, around and then our, because of the nature of our university, we have a worldwide draw of our student body. We're at, the, at, at Ohio State University, largest university in our conference, 65,000 students that attend, yeah. right? Their stadium's over 100,000. 
So, I mean, if you were to th- think about it this way, you know, we have 8,000 students, they have 65,000. Well, it's the context of your point about the 8,000. Co- correct. Enough, so yeah. when you really look at it, it's yeah. pretty unique. Uh, tell us then a little bit about it. I mentioned about the, the uh, uneducated aspects, certainly on my end, to, to college football and to, I think, a lot of people here. What, is this a home game now for you guys in August? What comes with a home game? Yeah, well, th- there's nothing better than the pageantry of college football in the United States. From the minute you wake up you know, on, on game day, uh, you'll, you'll hear a lot about tailgating. Mm. And uh, it, it's basically, what is it? It's a party, you know, and, and uh, around the parking lots, around the stadiums, people actually pay to pretty much lease that spot hmm. and then throw a party around the, the, their trunk of their car. And so it's it's music, it's drink, it's food, it's family, it's friends, uh, and it's all the pageantry that goes along with that uh, before the game, hours before the game. The, the parking lots in, in Evanston, uh, outside of Ryan Field where we play, you know, uh, it's restricted, but it's four hours before kickoff, the party starts. Okay, and it right. starts there in the parking lots. And then, you know, probably similar to around the pubs, you know, you would maybe go from the pubs to Aviva Stadium and, and go, you know, go from uh, partying in the pub to then partying in the stadium and bands and, and, and parades. Uh, the team will show up and, and uh, you'll have, you know, the, if, depending on the time of the year and where you're playing, potentially fly over military planes. I mean, uh, it, it, it goes from the kickoff all the way to the end uh, that there's just uh, it's just a lively, passionate event. Uh, and, and especially when you're the road team. Uh, you're typically in a very hostile environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's something a lot about what you're saying that that really speaks to an Irish audience as well. I think in terms of that party aspect of it. So, uh, how much of what you're doing now this week is is recce, or is this mostly promotional, or is there some of this that you've got the little notebook out and you're like, okay, here's some stuff we can come back to? Yeah, well, a lot of it will be promotional, but then also we're going to go over to the stadium and I'll get a, I'll get a feel for you know sure. the logistics. Uh, my uh, a group of my team was already over uh, last month. Uh, you know, to see the stadium, how the locker room set up. So, you know, all those little tiny, minute details uh, all go into the operation of, of, of game day for us. So, you know, getting a great feel, I'll go to the hotel and look and see the, the meeting rooms and how we'll go about it. I mean, we're going we're gonna to take 175 to 200 people in my organization, take them from Chicago and bring them here and try to execute that same energy, same passion, uh, same game day, uh, you know, when we come over and have the game and then bring a bunch of fans. Uh, Nebraska will bring a bunch of fans. If you think about it in context, uh, the University of Nebraska, no pro teams in the state of Nebraska. Right. So it's the it's the it is the premier university of the state. Uh, their, their, their stadium on game day when it's full is the third largest city in the state of Nebraska, wow. just inside the stadium. So their fans are passionate. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of purple and white. That's our school colors. Uh, we'll have a lot of purple and white. We'll have a lot from Chicago and throughout the United States. Uh, but I think the uh, the Irish fans in, in the country will will get a firm grasp of, of Nebraska. Uh, and I've got great respect for them and for their fans. They, their fans are as loyal uh, as anybody you'll see. So it'll be a great challenge uh, for us, even though it's our home game. Uh, their, their fans will travel well. What I, I should have asked you earlier on in terms of your remit, head coach is the title here in terms of the game. You'll go into tomorrow. Head coach is a very hands-on yeah. coaching the team oh, yeah. thing. Is it? Same, same with yeah, yourself, yeah, especially during uh, tr- you call it training, we call it practice. Very hands on, uh, and then I, I have on my staff one person that oversees our offense and one that oversees our defense, yeah. uh, and then the, the kicking game aspect. I have another person that oversees that. So then I manage those three. So all of our decisions are made collectively together. 
A few things I wanted to ask you about before we let you wait. You have a couple of former players involved in Super Bowl. I do. That's exciting. We have. I last year I started the season with 21 players in the National Football League, wow. uh, and now to have two former players that play for the LA Rams uh, that are a part of it. Uh, I, I went uh, pretty much. Uh, I, I think ten or twelve years uh, in a row of having one of my guys play in the Super Bowl, so it's uh, it's a spectacular experience for them. And then for the Rams, they're playing in SoFi, which is their home stadium, so it uh, it should be an interesting uh, game. I saw that you'd signed a ten year extension, I think, to your contract Northwestern not that long ago. But there have also been other links uh, to to uh, a couple of NFL teams. Have you been tempted by that? Yeah. That route as you might say yeah i'm very i'm very happy very thankful for where i'm at you know as a, as a former player and student at northwestern uh and being in chicago and my wife and i are at home and they've been incredibly supportive uh if you ever come to evanston and see our campus it's absolutely beautiful picturesque on the shores of lake michigan and most recently we they uh university committed a, a major uh facility upgrade and so the ryan field house which is our indoor training facility in wilson field Along with the Walter Athletic Center, is state of the art, two hundred and seventy million dollars that uh, that we spent to build this state of the art training center right in the heart of our campus. It's not just for our football team; uh, we also, uh, you know, share the facility with uh, our other teams, other athletes, male and female. And uh, we're uh, uh, in the uh, beginning stages of then redoing our stadium, Ryan Field, okay. uh, which will be done in the next uh, you know handful of years. So a lot of exciting times. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. As I, I would, pre- I would yeah. prefer to to be there for as long as it'll allow yeah, me to be. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is big bucks, big business, and uh, we're really looking forward to the game as well. CollegeFootballIreland.com is the place to go. General tickets on sale for March. Uh, hospitality packages available right now. I know you've got a packed schedule. Thanks a million for coming in. Really good, interesting to hear about your uh, your Kildare links and how all that has come about. And we're really looking forward to uh, the game in August as well. Coach, thanks a million for coming in. I appreciate. It. Thanks, thanks a lot, a lot. Pa- uh, Coach Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern. There, as I said, CollegeFootballIreland.com is the place you need to get along for uh, tickets to that general sale from March. And by by the way, I should mention as well that uh, we're going to be giving away some really uh, nice uh, co-branded uh, beanies and baseball caps. We might be able to take a look at those on screen. There you go. Nice couple of items for you there. Ahead uh, of the game, the Wildcats against uh, Nebraska. Erlingus College Football Classic at Viva Stadium, 27th of August. Uh, I mentioned uh, the website there and uh, we are going to be, if you keep an eye on our social channels over the course of the day, uh, do keep an eye there. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We're going to find out how you can get your hands on a couple of those nice little items. We're going to be back uh, talking Six Nations Rugby with Alan Quinlan after these. OTB AM. He's been he's been brilliant. You know he was deeply suspicious of me when we first started working together. I because I was in I was working for the Observer and the BBC back in the day when he was the barracroom lawyer with the great English side of the early nineties. And of course, you know. The, the rapport between the media and current players is always a bit strained and a bit tense, and it was in our day. But we sort of got we sort of muddled along at first, and I think it was probably a seminal moment when we were we were we were quite young. Me as a commentator, and he as a, a second voice, and we were walking back towards the city centre of Rome after an it- Italy France game. And we said, well, let's have a quick beer. And we walked into this bar, and it was a big bar populated entirely by people from the Basque region. And Brian walked in, and the whole place stopped. And they, they advanced towards him, 
instantly recognizing who he was. And these were days when England used to go and there was war in Paris and Lascubay and um, Moscato had been sent off with Brian snarling in their face. Uh, Stephen Hilditch, I think, was the referee who sent them off. So there was an Irish involvement as well. You know, so it was, um, it was pretty tense. And, but the great thing was that the Basques ad- advanced towards Brian. You know, let's say 30 of them. Brian advanced towards the Basques. <laughs> and as they got chin to chin, they suddenly went, oh, my God, but you are so small. Yeah. And he said, small. And the next thing he's doing, he's organising a scrummage session in the bar. So he says, all right, you Basques, you organise a scrummage your side. And he, and he rounded up a, a, a load of Italian waiters to come and be his pack around him and they and I said well, 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 what shall I do he said you can be scrum half <laughs> so I'm uh, rolling up beer mats to, into, a, into a ball and uh, uh, he says to the Basques right it's, uh, it's your put in you just have to strike for the ball and, uh, and you'll have made your point that I'm no good so he did one of those little things that front row forwards do and the little Basque hooker who was a player, I mean, he was a proper player, he said, I cannot move. <laughs> and he just could not move his right foot to strike for the ball. Wow. And, that, and so they got up and they, hmm. And then he said, right, it's out my put in. So he said, like, re-pad the ball and go down. And he says to the Basque, right, you can do whatever you like to me. And they do, so he's there and he's... he's nose is on the floor and he's bent and buckled and the Italian team around him, the Italian waiters aren't giving him much support but this little tap comes so I put the rolled up pile of beer mats in and from nowhere from under his nose he effortlessly sweeps the ball back out of the scrum and he left to a standing ovation so that's my Brian that's my Brian and that is the great Eddie Butler in conversation with Owen there's loads of that good stuff it'll be all up in podcast a little bit later on today and you can check it out on our YouTube channel as well uh, about Brian Moore of course who he would have worked around the Six Nations on commentary for years and it's been announced obviously this week that Brian Moore is going to be leaving the BBC uh, in the large part not entirely uh, ITV picking up some coverage and um, uh, thirst for more regional voices apparently according to one of the newspapers this morning uh, certainly uh, somebody to be missed uh, Brian Moore on commentary and you, as I said you can check out all of Owen's brilliant work from Wales uh, during the week you can go along to our YouTube channel and see all of that there uh, pretty exciting and a reminder of our competition this morning uh, final pair of tickets to give away on the show to Ireland against Wales at the Aviva tomorrow afternoon it's all with thanks to Aldi who are official fresh food partner to Irish Rugby this week launched Play With Your Food uh, with the RFU new research by Aldi showing that over 40% of Irish kids don't eat fruit and veg every day Play With Your Food encourages kids to think differently about how it is that they consume their fruit and veg to enter our competition to be in with the chance of winning that pair of tickets to our against Wales you just have to do the following you have to head along to OTB on TikTok you can see it there and you can see the handle in front of you if you're watching us and if you're listening off underscore the underscore ball is our handle uh, like one of our videos comment with our secret word uh, that I'm going to tell you now and uh, we'll know at that point that you are entering our competition that secret word is Raj the man that you could see on your screen there a second ago R-O-G simple as that we're going to pick a winner at random later today and get those tickets over to you just make sure that you are following us on TikTok because otherwise we won't be able to PM you uh, with the details of your win and we'll have to move on to the next person on the list Alan Quinlan good morning to you 
Morning, Adrian. How are you? Flying it. Really looking forward, I have to say, to um, it, the build-up to this seems to be going on for ages, and uh, at last it's upon us. I was reading a thing yesterday, and it was funny because it really resonated from thinking about stuff that Eddie O'Sullivan used to talk about in relation to momentum um, as far back as that, and it was in Rugby World magazine about the whole notion of momentum. Uh, long begone the days, Quinny, uh, of them throwing us Italy in the first round and we were able to get the engine nicely oiled and up and running. We're straight in here. Yeah, straight in. I think, uh, obviously, Adrian, it's it's better if you have a home game starting the Six Nations. And look, historically, and I remember when I played in it myself, um, you, the prep time wasn't always ideal. Um People were saying, why were Ireland away in a camp this week in Portugal? Is there a need for that? Yes, there is, because I think you get so much work done when you're away in a group like that together. It's not just a, the on-field training, but it's mm. the it's the videos and, and the little conversations players have together and, and, and all that prep you can do. So um, it's, it wasn't too long ago that... You know the, the French teams were French players were playing in between the Six Nations and stuff like that. So um, sometimes teams are rusty when they start out, um, and and that can be an issue. And the word momentum that Eddie is using, um, I heard that many times from him, and and it is it, it's very apt for for the Six Nations because I think if you look at if you look at Wales two years ago when they won the Grand Slam, you know they they probably could have lost that game in France in Paris. France capitulated in the second half and suddenly you're coming out of Paris in round one with a win and you start to believe that you can you can get more results. Last year, you know, Peter O'Mahony was sent off when Ireland played him over in Cardiff in that first game. Ireland looked like they probably, you know, if they had the 15 players and even at the end, they could have still won the game. They go up to Murrayfield for the next game and I think... They they just claw to win again, and suddenly they're they're going for a championship, and they won the championship. So that's why I'm kind of low to write Wales off as well in this in in this competition because mm. every year when you write Wales off, I think um, they seem to surprise a few people, and they're the ones who really believe and get that momentum. And that, and that the Six Nations is like that. Um, it is about just getting a good start and. Ireland are in a really good position tomorrow with with a home crowd as well, a full house. So uh, we can't get too far ahead of ourselves, but there's, there's reason to be optimistic for this tournament. Yeah, a uh, reminder that you're watching o AM. We are live with uh, Gillette at uh, 22 minutes past nine. On this Friday morning, good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and approved razors. Um, I was interested listening to Rob Harris earlier on. He was talking to Owen over in Wales, Quinny, about... Um, uh, Wayne Pivak and the development of that because actually it just struck me that it isn't that long ago that both Wayne Pivak and Andy Farrell people were talking about you know are these guys going to last to the World Cup and suddenly both of them have had uh, certainly an upturns in um, in fortune and it like it's starting to look like a I, you certainly couldn't say a settled team in the sense that he's obviously maybe some of his hand has been forced this weekend Andy Farrell to in some of the selections he's had but in terms of our style uh, Farrell ball I saw it described in the Telegraph this morning in in terms of the style we're getting to that settled position that should take us into the World Cup now yeah the the, the game has changed they've changed the way they're playing um, I think every team needs to, to be good at the kicking um, the kicking game and, and be pragmatic at times and be direct I think that's a given for every side. You can't, you know, have an attacking team who never kicked the ball. I think Ireland, obviously, under Joe Schmidt, were incredibly successful and so effective in everything they've done um, that 
that open off the cuff rugby was 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 a challenge for the players if they got and I think two years ago the template was set by England, wasn't it? Um in that first game in in Dublin where England came and smothered Ireland, physically outmatched them, slowed them down, frustrated them, got in their face, and they kind of set a template for other teams to to follow suit. And you know, Ireland didn't really have a plan B, if you like, in 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 and it, they just didn't look comfortable in playing off the cuff rugby. And I think you need that a little bit. I think with this team, um, they're probably difficult to team to analyze. They still can be quite direct. Lots of good ball carriers now. I think, you know, Porter, Kelleher, Furlong offer a real incredible dimension to, to ball carrying ability. I think the three of them are world class at that. And uh, so I think the style has changed, obviously. And from a public's perspective, um, I think they would love to see you know, more of the same in November. But it's not always easy. And, it, and the, that's where the Six Nations can be a little bit different. And I think people are getting very optimistic and excited about tomorrow against Wales. But it, it doesn't always go to plan. You know, the mm. Six Nations, it, it's like it's like playing in the FA Cup, if you like, in England sometimes. Teams can frustrate you. You know, the Welsh players, when they put on that Welsh jersey, just find a passion and and a desire from somewhere that, that makes them um, different players from when they play with their their, their regions. So, um, you know, are Ireland going to be allowed to play with this kind of free-flowing accuracy that they showed in November? Well, they've got to create it themselves, but I just have a feeling Wales are going to try and make it really difficult for them. Um, but the style has changed, and I think it's changed for the better. Um, and you, you cut your cloth according to your measure and I think they've done that they've seen that they needed to make some some adaption and my cat deserves credit for this he doesn't get probably you mentioned about Wayne Pivak being under pressure and Andy Farrell but I think my cat was under a lot of pressure as well and we've seen a little change from the end of the Six Nations last year through the summer and, and particularly in November which is very pleasing to see and so that's the style and the selections then I was reading at Mac Hansen particularly uh, to begin with maybe Quinny I was reading in the uh, I think it might have been the mail this morning where they were talking about making the comparisons between Michael Bent uh, Matt Mostyn uh, Brian Smith back in the day like projects that came in were thrown in at the last minute when maybe there were other options it didn't quite work like look at who knows it's his first cap I was mentioning earlier on that I saw him up close and personal at the Aviva a couple of months ago and he does look like he looks more like a James Lowe than a Matt Mostyn or a Michael Benn type he looks like this guy could be a real player he's a really intelligent footballer and he's quick um, I think he played fly half when he was underage full back um, so he has that variety to his game and incredibly quick Um from the very minute I saw Mac Hansen, I, I liked, I liked, I liked him as a player. I just think he, he presents himself. He loves to come in fields, um, give options, and he's a real footballer. Obviously, it's a step up to international level, and and you know you saw what happened James Lowe at yeah. the start of last year when he got picked, and you make one or two defensive errors, and and it was never about James Lowe not being physical enough to make the tackles or shying away from him. It's just getting the timing right, and and, and against and on that, Quinny specifically, like that's the big question for Mac Hansen. Like it's well, not it's, all, it's, it's, it's not as if he's just question. starting in some November international. It's his first cap against like one of our big rivals' first game of the Six Nations. 
yeah, and there's different sorts of pressure. Um, I, I think, you know, Reese Zamas uh, and Johnny McNichol are really quick wingers. I, I think Zamet is someone you could have a full conversation about him, how Ireland are going to cope with him tomorrow. His pace is phenomenal. Um, but I just think it's making decisions um, on his wing, not coming up and in, you know, knowing when to show him the outside, all that kind of stuff. It's just, mm-hmm. it's down to good decision making. I, I, again, I don't think he's a bad defender. I think one or two little errors for Connacht. Um, Andy Friend um, was on during the week defending him and saying he's not a bad defender because I think um, that's just the key. You've got to do your bread and butter stuff first. Um, he's good in the air and and a really intelligent player. And, and he's unbelievably quick. So I, I genuinely think that um, he's going to do really well for Ireland. And, and he has that ability to step up and play international level. And I'm sure Simon Easterby's defence coach would have, you know, spoken to him and he would have bedded into the systems defensively. And from an attacking point of view, Andy Farrell said that, that, he was really, really impressed with how quickly he's adapted to everything. Mm. First in November when he was in the squad um, and he's trained unbelievably well, I believe. So I think it's it's um, it's it's a big call. It's a brave call, but I think it's the right one and it's it's a great opportunity for him. How do we stop Louis Rizamit? You just don't try not to give him space. Um, I think he's... You know, you saw his try last week for Gloucester. Um, if anyone hadn't seen it, the ball was kicked downfield and he he just sides through the, a defence and scores in the opposite corner and looks like he's in third gear, but he just... Um, he's very, very dangerous, I think. If you... Most wingers, if you give him space, they'll, they'll exploit it. I think he just has that extra little zip. Um, it might only be a tiny little bit to his opposition, but it can make a difference. Um, you just don't kick loosely team and you make sure that you you defend um, you have a support defender with you if he tries if he tries to step or take you on the outside so um, look I don't think it's a, it's a major concern but I just think in um, if you kick loosely to him you've just got to make sure that your kick chase is really connected yeah. and he doesn't get an opportunity to pick out front drawers or or, or, or loose forwards or you know that someone who's who's not as quick as, as traditionally as your back. So I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think they'll be very well aware of that. And uh, look, he may score and he may, you know, he may have a great championship. I think he will. Um, he's a brilliant player, but um, you've just got to be wary of these guys. And that's what all, the, all not just Reece Zammett, they'll have their analysis done on in every individual tomorrow for Wales. A few things to finish on, Quinny. Uh, first of all, Ross Harris was talking about 12 points Ireland to win by, uh, which makes me nervous. What are you? What are you thinking? Um, yeah, it makes me a little bit nervous as well because you know I just I've always been intrigued when you play, you know, the Scarlets or Cardiff or the Ospreys, and you know, having played against them with Munster, you feel you, you have a dominant win, and and you, you, the Irish provinces have been very successful against the Welsh regions. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. And sometimes I, I question, you know, these guys, some of these players then go and play for Wales. And it's just their collective spirit and passion when they put on that Welsh jersey. And I, I don't mean they're, they're bad players for the regions because obviously, you know, it's down to their squad depth and finances and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think if you go right back to the Ospreys when they had all 
you know, a huge investment there. They were an incredibly strong side. Scarlets at times have been, you know, hitting great heights and have wonderful players. Um, but when some of these guys, when they come together and they play for Wales, they're just they're just a different beast, and they obviously have incredible passion. So it, it always makes me scared when when we we start talking about big scores and big wins. I think on paper, if you you ask someone for an honest prediction, and I think the Welsh people would probably say the same, Ireland are in a much better position. You know, when you've missing Alan Wynne Jones, Ken Owens, Falatau, Tipperick, North, Halfpenny, Navidi, Lydias, like that is some amount of experience and quality to be missing. Mm. Um, they still have a very good side, Wales, but I just think they're missing a bit of power and aggression and experience. So, it does make me nervous, but on paper you think, yes, Ireland will win by 10, 15 points. Um, but we we kind of, we got a bit of a lesson two years ago, didn't we? We were kind of brilliant in 2018 and um, England started that kind of difficult run for Ireland and 2019 was a bit of a write-off overall. So there's reasons to be optimistic um, given what we saw in November, not just... And not just the, the win against the All Blacks. I just think the ruthlessness against Japan and Argentina impressed me a lot as well. So if they can continue on like that, there's no guarantee. And I think they will have moments, not just in the match tomorrow, but throughout the tournament where teams will try and smash them and upset them and unsettle them. And that's really going to be the intrigue for me is how they deal with that pressure. Yeah, and like we could go ahead and do a Grand Slam, Quinny, and we still have people giving out it's the wrong time, not work up here. So we'll see. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Hopefully the, the start of a good few weeks for us. Uh, I wanted to leave by asking you about the passing that was announced yesterday, Tom Kiernan. Uh, Quinny, obviously, monster um, uh, legend and what he offered to Irish rugby over the years. Like reading even some of the numbers yesterday in terms of Ireland caps at that time that he played for obviously uh, 50, 50 odd caps and a captain for half of those uh, Lions, five Lions tests he was the coach which a lot of people won't be aware of of the All Blacks for that day the Red 78 podcast of course uh, in 78 and coached Ireland to a triple crown in, in 82 as well this guy's service to Irish rugby cannot be overstated It's incredible Adrian um, and when you go back and look what Tom achieved as a player, as a coach, as an administrator in the game, it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. You know, we often talk in modern times about you know Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell and and, and Ronan O'Gara, what they achieved in in my era and my time, um, and rightly so. But you forget what some of these people and 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 someone like Tom achieved to get fifty four caps in a time that's there wasn't that many internationals, you know, you didn't have your summer tests and your Novembers. Um, there certainly wasn't as many internationals to get 54 caps and to achieve, you know, and captain the team and captain Munster and coach Munster. So there's, the list is endless. And I think, you know, what Tom gave to the game was, was just incredible. Um, I know a lot of his family, his sons, uh, and it is very sad. You know, I spoke about losing my own dad a few years ago and, and they'll feel the same. Um, Tom was 83, but, you know, he'll, he'll leave a big void not in, to his family, obviously, but, but to the rugby community as well, and particularly to his club, because I think it's the, the club is where you start and where you... you you're, um, it all starts for you as a player and you get involved 
and you move up the ranks and, and Tom was very proud of his club as well and proud of Ireland and Munster as well but I think for Cork Con and the people of Cork Constitution you know um, everybody can be very proud of, of um, particularly his family of what he achieved in the game and it is sad and our thoughts and prayers go out to his family because you know like I said um, you feel that pain and and they'll feel it and you know for what the man achieved in the game was was it's just incredible, as I said. Yeah, and Tony Ward writes brilliantly this morning as well about how what an inspirational character he was, and I know there'll be plenty of tributes paid to Tom Kiernan uh, over the coming days and weeks as well. I've no doubt about that. Uh, Alan, thanks a million for that, and enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Cheers, thanks, Edring. Alan Quinlan there of the Red Seventy Eight podcast, which you can check out uh, wherever it is you pick up your podcast. It's uh, Munster focused. Himself and Neve Briggs uh, picking through all uh, events of the day. So, just a last chance to remind you about our competition this morning. Um, head over to the OTB TikTok page. You can get full details on it. There are tickets for Ireland against Wales uh, at the Aviva tomorrow, and it'll be uh, running until one today so get in before one o'clock off underscore the underscore ball that's our handle on TikTok Uh, enter there just like a video comment with our secret word which is that man you saw on your screen a second ago Rog R-O-G and we'll know that you've entered Uh, once you've done that we're going to announce the winner at one all with thanks to Aldi who've launched uh, their play with your food campaign so that is almost it uh, from us for this morning you've been watching OTB AM if you've missed anything live uh, you can listen back across the OTB podcast network you can uh, pick us up as well OTB on YouTube of course it's where you'll find all of Owen's brilliant work from Wales during the week lots of it up there all the build up to Ireland, Wales and the Six Nations including Brian O'Driscoll from last night's show on OTB AM brought to you live uh, every morning by Gillette Good morning, start with Gillette you can put your best face forward with their new and improved Razors OTB live again tonight from 7 and 1 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday with some brilliant shows lined up OTB AM of course back on Monday morning we'll have all the reaction from the rugby and beyond over the weekend Uh, we'll see you then OTB AM with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved Razors 